Hello and welcome back to Corona Cold Reads, my entertainment world's answer to social isolation. Now that we've completed Shakespeare and Chekhov's canons, our troupe of professional and amateur theater lovers together is taking on great works across mediums. So from Aaron Sorkin to indie playwrights, Valentine's rom-coms, French classics, Greek tragedies, so much more. We've got everything coming up for you. So Shaw, Stoppard, Moliere, Efron, and so much more coming down the pike. So for you to enjoy in audio form here on our podcast feed, or if you want to catch all of our costumes, props, effects, and unplanned pet appearances, um, all of our readings are also available on our YouTube channel. Just search My Entertainment World and you'll see it there. Um, please keep in mind that these are genuinely cold readings. We're publishing unedited, so bear with us through some stumbles, tangents, and of course, every time someone's accidentally on mute. Um, that happens all the time. Sometimes people don't show up. You just got to bear with us. Uh, so to make sure you don't miss any of our content, be sure to subscribe on YouTube or on our podcast feed where you'll find episodes of all our favorite ongoing series, including this one, of course, as well as the Shakespeare series, the favorite series, Corona Movie Club, exclusive interviews, as well as our annual MLB roundtable discussion, which is my very favorite thing we do. So follow us on social media at MyEntWorld, my E-N-T world. Um, and of course, check out the website, MyEntertainmentWorld.ca, where you can find all of the above, as well as reviews, editorials, artist spotlights, and so much more. So thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoy the show. So I know that Henry the Fourth Part Two seems like a really weird play to insert into this season of Shakespeare reboots, where we're doing otherwise just all-time classics. Um, I know that's weird, but this season was not just Shakespeare All-Stars. It was also our chance to go back and revisit some of the ones that we did maybe a little too early on, didn't get our tech right, whatever. And Henry IV Part Two is a standout in the original run of Corona Cold Read Shakespeare plays because we did it weirdly because I will be honest, I hijacked it for my birthday party. Um, at the time, it was... It, just like a fun idea that I had for to sell it was, you know, quarantine birthdays were new. And, uh, I just had this idea of like, what if I invited all sorts of people, not just actors, not people who aren't, would necessarily sign up for a Shakespeare reading, but basically everybody I would possibly want to see on my birthday, no matter where they live in the world and have them come and we'll do Shakespeare together. So we divided up all the parts. We had like seven fall staffs because we had a 90 person cast. And because at the time, the idea of getting through Shakespeare's canon was such a huge mountain to climb. And we were in the middle of the Henry ad, which we did all in order. Um, we didn't want to stop. So we didn't want to pause to do this other sort of like side Shakespeare reading so we incorporated it as part of the original run of Corona Cold Reads was this is our Henry the Fourth part two. Weird though it may be, this is what our official version is. So when we had the opportunity to go back and revisit some Shakespeare's, this was the first thing I wanted to redo. I wanted to sort of insert a new version into the official record so that we have a proper reading of Henry the Fourth part two under our belt. So as such, it became kind of a weird one to cast um, because we did the Henry ad all in order, all together in May 2020. And so and we did a lot of re like similar casting. So we had the characters who appear in multiple plays carry through the whole arc um, as much as possible. So I wanted to, because instead of the, the nature of um, Shakespeare reboots was we were going to recast everything, this one we did want to adhere as closely as possible to what that original cast would have looked like had I not ruined it with my birthday. Um, 
but of course it's been a year it's been a, a weird hard year and so we didn't have all the same actors and we had some new wonderful actors we wanted to incorporate um so it was a sort of a weird mashup of we have some people returning to the characters they played the whole way through we have shaylin bass mcfall as northumberland we have uh mark craters bardolph we have laura hubbard's points like we have these people who were those characters back a year ago um but then we also are incorporating some new people um oh the other one is we have weldon gory's falstaff who was one of my very favorite things about the henry ad so it was nice to have him return here but we lost our our hal uh for some reason scott garland couldn't make it to this particular week uh and so we had to recast him luckily for us uh the brilliant and wonderful Anne van lewin was available generally speaking when i cannot get the sort of person who was supposed to take the role originally if i can substitute in anyone i always substitute in Anne van lewin she's a slam dunk in every role um, I particularly found it fun because in Henry, the original Henry V reading, she was Catherine, so she was his queen eventually. So I kind of liked the idea of him uh, of him stepping aside and her taking over um, in this backstory uh, episode, I guess, of the Henry ad. So our Prince Hal here is Anne Van Leeuwen. She's wonderful. Um, obviously, Weldon Gorey is our Falstaff, who I adore. And then we weren't able to get our, our uh, Prince our King Henry the fourth back. And so we turned to our newest company member, Sean Wilson in our last, in the last intro I recorded, which was for much ado about nothing. You heard me talk about the introduction of Sean Wilson, how he sort of came out of the gate, just guns a blazing and very quickly became the title role. So uh, you'll get to get your sort of dramatic performance introduction to Sean Wilson here. And you'll see here the thing he does with his voice when he's playing an authority figure, um, which is quite cool. It's very commanding and fun. So, um, yeah, I think that's really all I have to tell you about this one. It's a really weird play, though. So perhaps... Give it a bit of a look-see in terms of the like Wikipedia situation, um, and maybe check out our Henry the Fourth Part One reading, uh, which we did do in a normal fashion uh, back in 2020. So you can get your backstory, so you know what you're getting into going into this reading, because it's it can be quite confusing following the Henry ad, and especially um, if it's been a long time since you've seen Part One. Part Two can be a little bit wacka wackadoo. So highly suggest going back and. Uh, reassessing some of that and uh, seeing if you can get the, the plot into your head a little bit. Um, basically, Civil War. That's all you really need to know. Um, Hal is was pretending to be not a good prince so that he can one day shock everybody and be a great king. Um, but yeah, I would I would maybe maybe uh, give it a, a summary look through uh, and um, maybe, yeah, check it out on YouTube. But I hope you enjoy it. It was fun to revisit. <laughs> All right. Uh, evening, everyone. Okay. Uh, Corona Cold reads Henry the Fourth Part Two reboot. Cast list of wonderful people. So King Henry the Fourth, Sean Wilson. Hello. Prince Henry, Anne Van Leeuwen. Hello. Falstaff, Weldon Gorey. Hello. Rumor, Fang, Pistol, Warwick, Messenger, Harcourt, and First Beetle, Melissa Wright. Hello, everybody. Lord Bardolph and Bardolph, who are, yes, in fact, two different people, and Westmillan, Mark Crater. Hello. Porter, Gower, First Drawer, Shallow, and First Groom, Fabiana Cabral. Belated happy birthday. Hello. 
Northumberland, Snare, Pito, Davy, and second groom, Shailen Bass McFall. Hello. Travers, Mistress Quickly, Silence, and La- Lancaster, Nicole Falgu. Hello. Um, Morton, Page, Second Drawer, Moldy, and Gloucester, Elizabeth Morris. Hello. Servant, Lady Northumberland, Doll Tearsheet, and Clarence, Hilary Wardinger. Howdy ho. Lord Chief Justice, and Wart, Christopher Prentice. Hello. Um, Archbishop of York and Feeble, yours truly. And if you get around to watching this, my love, hi. Um, and Mowbray, Lady Percy, Bullcalf, Colville, and Princes. Um, Lauren Horeda, I hope I pronounced your last name correctly. Yes, you did. Hi. Fabulous. And Hastings, Poins, and Epilogue, Laura Hubbard. Hello. Okay, thank you very much, Nicanor Campos, who did not read his own name. So that's who that is, and for anyone who... Oh, yeah, I'm Nick Campos, for anyone who cares. (laughs) Um, Okay. Broadcasting degree. (laughs) Um, So for anybody who did not join us when we first did the histories as a full cycle back in May 2020, um, to help us along as we did that, because it was quite an endeavor and very difficult to keep track of everything that was going on, Um, We had uh, Gabby Grice and James King, who are two of our regular members, who became our troubadours for the season and did recaps after every episode to help us um, recap what happened last week. So to start our reading today, we are going to revisit that um, beautiful thing. So Henry is the king now, and everyone's at war. Young Hotspur is impressive, and Hal is drunk with whores. He spends his time with Falstaff, committing heinous pranks. Apparently, it's all an act. He's not a total wank. That's what my dates say. Now Hotspur's got an ego, he's chasing off the king. His family wants what's owed to them, respect and lands and things. Oh, and Hal and Falstaff are still messing around. The Percy and Welsh witches have landed on a plot. They're gonna stage a mutiny, get both Hotspur for a shot. And scared the king will find out, and sure their plan will rock. Lady Mortimer sings Rhiannon. <coughs> oh, she is a Welsh witch. And Lady Percy's breaking cocks. How gets word of treason goes to his dad at once. They both bury the hatchet. They'll eat Hotspur for lunch. Oh, and the whole staff is still cheap and still bullshit. Oh, Hotspur's friends are bailing, like an invite to his show. But he won't let that stop him. Do you think he's high on blow? Now, what is his childhood trauma? The king offers to make up. Douglas now appears. How kills Hotspur? And Falstaff was near. Classic Falstaff. <laughs> 
ears, for which of you will stop the vent of hearing when loud rumor speaks? I, from the Orient to the drooping West, making the wind my post-horse, still unfold the axe commence on this ball of earth. Upon my tongue's continual slanders ride, the which in every language I pronounce, stuffing the ears of men with false reports. I speak of peace, while covert enmity enter under the smile of safety wounds the world. And who but rumor, who but only I, make fearful musters and prepared defense, whilst the big year, swollen with some other grief, is thought with child by the stern tyrant war, and no such matter. Rumor is a pipe blown by surmises, jealousies, conjectures, and of so easy and so plain a stock that the blunt monster with uncounted heads, the still discordant wavering multitude can play upon it. And what need I thus my well-known body to anatomize among my household? Why is rumor here? I run before King Harry's victory, who in a bloody field by Shrewsbury hath beaten down young Hotspur and his troops, quenching the flame of bold rebellion, even with the rebel's blood. But what mean I to speak so true at first? My office is to noise abroad that Henry Monmouth fell under the wrath of noble Hotspur's sword, and that the king, before the Douglas's rage, stooped his anointed head as low as death. This have I rumored through the peasant towns, between that royal field of Shrewsbury and this worm-eaten hold of ragged stone, where Hotspur's father, old Northumberland, lies crafty sick. The posts come tiring on, and not a man of them brings other news than they have learned of me. From rumor's tongues, they bring smooth comforts false, worse than true wrongs. Exit. Act 1, Scene 1, the same. Enter Lord Bardolph. Who keeps the gate here, oh? The porter opens the gate. Where is the earl? What shall I say you are? Tell thou the earl that the lord Bardolph doth attend him here. His lordship is walked forth into the orchard. Please it, your honor, knock but at the gate, and he himself will answer. Enter Northumberland. Here comes the earl. Exit porter. What news, lord Bardolph? Every minute now should be the father of some stratagem. The times are wild. Contention like a horse full of high feeding. Madly hath broke loose and bears down all before him. Noble Earl, I bring you certain news from Shrewsbury. Good, and God will. As good as heart can wish. The king is almost wounded to death. And in the fortune of my lord your son, Prince Harry slain outright and both the blunts killed by the hand of Douglas. Young Prince John in Westmoreland and Stafford fled the field, and Harry Monmouth's brawn, the Hulk Sir John, is prisoner to your son. Oh, such a day, so fought, so followed, and so fairly won, came not till now to dignify the time since Caesar's fortunes. How is this derived? Saw you the field? Came you from Shrewsbury? I spake with one, my lord, that came from thence, a gentleman well-bred and of good name that freely rendered me these news for true. Here comes my servant, Travers, whom I sent on Tuesday last to listen after news. My lord, I overrode him on the way, and he is furnished with no certainties more than he happily may retail from me. 
Now, Travers, what good tidings come with you? My lord, Sir John Umfreville turned me back with joyful tidings, and being better horsed outrode me. After he after him came spurring hard a gentleman almost forespent with speed that stopped by me to breathe his bloodied horse. He asked the way to Chester, and of him I did demand what news from Shrewsbury. He told me that rebellion had bad luck and that young Harry Percy's spur was cold. With that, he gave his able horse the head and bending forward struck his armored heels against the panting sides of his poor jade upon the uh, up to the rowel head. And starting so, he seemed in running to devour the way, staying no longer question. <laughs> Again, said he young Harry Percy's spur was cold. Of hot spur, cold spur, that rebellion had meted luck. My lord, I'll tell you what. If my young lord, your son, have not the day, upon mine honor, for a silken point, I'll give my barony. Never talk of it. Why should that gentleman that rode by Travers give then such instances of loss? Who? He? He was some hilding fellow that had stolen the horse he rode on, and upon my life spoke at a venture. Look, here comes more news. Enter Morton. Yea, this man's brow, like to a title leaf, foretells the nature of a tragic volume. So looks the strand whereon the imperious flood hath left a witnessed usurpation. Say, Morden, didst thou come from Shrewsbury? I ran from Shrewsbury, my noble lord, where hateful death put on his ugliest mask to fright our party. How doth my son and brother? Thou tremblest, and the whiteness in thy cheek is apter than thy tongue to tell thy errand. Even such a man, so faint, so spiritless, so dull, so dead in look, so woebegone, drew Priam's curtain in the dead of night and would have told him half his Troy was burnt. But Priam found the fire ere he he his tongue. And I my Percy's death, ere thou reports it? This thou wouldst say, your son did thus and thus, your brother thus, so fought the noble Douglas stopping my greedy ear with their bold deeds, but in the end, to stop my ear indeed, thou hast to sigh to blow away this praise, ending with brother, son, and all are dead. Douglas is living, and your brother yet, but for my lord your son. Why, he is dead. (laughs) See what a ready tongue suspicion hath. He that had but bears the thing he would not know, hath by instinct knowledge from others' eyes that what he feared is chanced. Yet speak, Morton. Tell thou an earl his divination lies, and I will take it as a sweet disgrace and make thee rich for doing me such wrong. You are too great to be by me, gainsaid. Your spirit is too true, your fears too certain. Yet for all this... Say not that Percy's dead. I see a strange confession in thine eye. Thou shakest thy head and holdst in fear or sin to speak a truth. If he be slain, say so. The tongue offends not that reports his death, and he doth sin that doth belie the dead. Not he which says the dead is not alive. Yet the first bringer of unwelcome news hath but a losing office, and his tongue sounds ever after a sullen bell. Remembered tolling a departing friend. I cannot think 
my lord, your son is dead. I am sorry I should force you to believe that which I would to God I had not seen. But these mine eyes saw him in bloody state, rendering faint quittance, wearied and outbreathed, to, Hen to Harry Monmouth, whose swift wrath beat down the never-daunted Percy to the earth, from whence with life he nevermore sprung up. In few, his death, whose spirit lent a fire even to the dullest peasant in his camp, being bruited once, took fire and heat away from the best-tempered courage in his troops. For from his metal was his party steeled, which once in him abated, all the rest turned on themselves like dull and heavy lead. And as the thing that's heavy in itself upon enforcement flies with greatest speed, so did our men, heavy in Hotspur's loss. Lend to this weight such lightness with their fear that arrows fled not swifter toward their aim than did our soldiers, aiming at their safety, fly from the field. Then was the noble Worcester too soon tain prisoner, and that furious Scot, the bloody Douglas, whose well-laboring sword had three times slain the appearance of the king, can veil his stomach and did grace the shame of those that turned their backs, and in his flight, stumbling in fear, was took. The sum of all is that the king hath won, and hath sent out a speedy power to encounter you, my lord, under the conduct of young Lancaster and Westmoreland. This is the news at full. For this I shall have time enough to mourn. There's poison there is physic. And these news, having been well, that would have made me sick, being sick, have in some measure made me well. And as the wretch whose fever-weakened joints like strengthless hinges buckle under life, impatient of his fit, breaks like a fire out of his keeper's arms, even so my limbs, weakened with grief, being now enraged with grief, are thrice themselves. Hence, therefore, thou nice crutch, a scaly gauntlet now to joint of steel, must glove this hand, and hence thou sickly quest. Thou art a guard too wanton for the head, which princes, fleshed with conquest, aim to hit. Now bind my brows with iron, and approach the ragged hour that time and spite dare bring to frown upon the enraged Northumberland. Let heaven kiss earth. Now let not nature's hand keep the wild flood confined. Let order die. And let this world no longer be a stage to feed contention in a lingering act, but let one spirit of the firstborn Cain reign in all bosoms, that each heart being set on bloody courses, the rude scene may end, and darkness be the barrier of the dead. This strained passion doth you wrong, my lord. Sweet Earl, divorce not wisdom from your honor. The lives of all your loving complices lean on your health. The which, if you give o'er to stormy passion, must perforce decay. You cast the event of war, my noble lord, and summed the account of chance before you said, let us make head. It was your persurmise that in the dole of blows your son might drop. You knew he walked o'er perils on an edge more likely to fall in than to get o'er. 
you were advised his flesh was capable of wounds and scars and that his forward spirit would lift him where the most trade of danger ranged yet did you say go forth and none of this though strongly apprehended could restrain the swift-born action what hath then befallen or what hath this bold enterprise brought forth more than that being which was like to be we all that are engaged to this loss knew that we ventured on such dangerous seas that if we wrought our life twas ten to one and yet we ventured for the gain proposed choked the respect of likely peril feared and since we are o'erset ventured again come we will all put forth body and goods tis more than time and my most noble lord i hear for certain and do speak the truth the gentle archbishop of york is up with well-appointed powers he is a man who with a double surety binds his followers my lord your son had only but the corpse but shadows and the shows of men to fight for that same word rebellion did divide the action of their bodies from their souls and they did fight with queasiness constrained as men drink potions that their weapons only seemed on our side but for their spirits and souls this word rebellion it had froze them up as fish are in a pond but now the bishop turns insurrection to religion supposed sincere and holy in his thoughts he's followed both with body and with mind and doth enlarge his rising with the blood of fair king richard scraped from pomfret stones derives from heaven his quarrel and his cause tells them he doth bestride a bleeding land gasping for life under great bolingbrook and more and less do flock to follow him i knew of this before but to speak truth this present grief hath wiped it from my mind go in with me and counsel every man the aptest way for safety and revenge get posts and letters and make friends with speed for never so few and never yet born need exit scene two london a street enter falstaff with his page bearing a sword and buckler Hurrah, you giant what says the doctor to my water he said sir the water itself was a good healthy water but for the party that owed it he might have more diseases than he knew for men of all sorts take a pride to gird at me the brain of this foolish compounded clay man is not able to invent anything that tends to laughter more than i invent or is invented on me i am not only witty in myself but the cause that wit is in other men I do here walk before thee like a sow that hath o'erwhelmed all her litter but one. If the prince put thee into my service for any other reason than to set me off, why, then I have no judgment. Thou, horse and mandrake, thou art fitter to be worn in my cap than to wait at my heels. I was never man with an agate till now, but I will insist in set you neither in gold nor silver, but in vile apparel, and send you back again to your master for a jewel, the juvenile, the prince, your master, whose chin is not yet fledged, 
I will sooner have a beard grow in the palm of my hand than he shall get one on his cheek. And yet, he will not stick to stay his face as a face royal. God may finish it when he will. Tis not a hair amiss yet. He may keep it still at a face royal, for a barber shall never earn sixpence out of it. Yet he'll be crowing as if he had writ man ever since his father was a bachelor. He may keep his own grace, but he's almost out of mine, I can assure him. What said Master Dumbledore about the satin for my short cloak and slops? He said, sir, you should procure him better assurance than Bardolph. He would not take his band and yours. He liked not the security. Let him be damned like the glutton. But pray God his tongue be hotter. A horse and a kidafell. A rascally, yea, forsooth, knave, to bear a gentleman in hand and then stand upon security? The horse and smooth pates do now wear nothing but high shoes and bunches of keys at their girdles. And if a man is through with them in honest taking up, then they must stand on security. I had as leaf they would put ratsbane in my mouth and as offer to stop it with security. I looked. I should have sent me two and twenty yards of satin, as I am a true knight. And he sends me security. Well, <laughs> he may sleep in security, for he hath the horn of abundance, and the lightness of his wife shines through it. Yet cannot he see. We have his own lanthorn to light him. Where's Bardolph? He's gone into Smithfield to, to buy your worship a horse. I bought him in Paul's and he'll buy me a horse in Smithfield. And I could get but a wife in the stews. I were manned, horsed, and wived. Enter Lord Chief Justice and servant. Sir, here comes the nobleman that committed the prince for striking him about Bardolph. Oh, wait close. I will not see him. What's he that goes there? Falstaff, and please, your lordship. He that was in question for the robbery? He, my lord, but he hath since done good service at Shrewsbury, and as I hear, is now going was in charge to the Lord John of Lancaster. What, to York? Call him back again. Sir John Falstaff! Boy, tell him I am deaf. You must speak louder. My master is deaf. I'm sure he is. To the hearing of anything good. Go pluck him by the elbow. I must speak with him. Sir John! What? A, a young knave and begging? Is there not wars? Is there not employment? Doth not the king lack subjects? Do not the rebels need soldiers? Though it be a shame to be on any side but one, it is worse shame to beg than to be on the worst side, where it worse than the name of rebellion can tell how to make it. You mistake me, sir. Why, sir, did I say you were an honest man? Setting my knighthood and my soldiership aside, I had lied in my throat if I had said so. I pray you, sir, then set your knighthood and our soldiership aside. Give me leave to tell you. You lie in your throat if you say I am any other than an honest man. I give thee leave to tell me so. I lay aside that which grows to me. If thou gettest any leave of me, hang me. If thou takest leave, thou wert better be hanged, you hunt counter. Hence! 
Avant! Sir, my word would speak with you. Sir John Falstaff, a word with you. Bye, my good lord. God give your lordship good time of day. I am glad to see your lordship abroad. I heard say your lordship was sick. Oh, I hope your lordship goes abroad by advice. Your lordship, though not clean past your youth, hath yet some smack of age in you, some relish of the saltness of time, and I must humbly beseech your lordship to have a reverent care for your health. Sir John, I sent for you before your expedition to Shrewsbury. And please, your lordship, I hear his majesty is returned with some discomfort from Wales. I talk not of his majesty. You would not come when I sent for you. And I hear, moreover, his highness has fallen into some horse and apoplexy. Well, God mend him. I pray you, let me speak with you. This apoplexy is, as I take it, a, a kind of uh, lethargy, and please your lordship, a kind of sleeping in the blood, oh, a horse and tingling. What tell you me of it? Be it as it is. It hath its original from much grief, from study and uh, perturbation of the brain. I have read the cause of his effects in Galen. It is a kind of... Deafness. I think you are fallen into the disease, for you hear not what I say to you. Very well, my lord, very well. Rather, and please you, it is the disease of not listening, the malady of not marking that I am troubled withal. To punish you by the heels, I would amend the attention of your ears, and I care not if I do become your physician. I am as poor as Job, my lord, but not so patient. Your lordship may minister the potion of imprisonment to me in respect of poverty. But how should I be your patient to follow your prescriptions? The wise may make some dram of a scruple, or indeed a scruple itself. I am sent, I sent for you, when there were matters against you for your life to come speak with me. As I was then advised by my learned counsel in the laws of this land service, I did not come. Well... The truth is, Sir John, you live in great infamy. He that buckles him in my belt cannot live in less. Your means are very slender, and your waist is great. <laughs> would it were otherwise, I would my means were greater and my waist slenderer. You have misled the youthful prince. The young prince hath misled me. I am the fellow with the great belly, and he my dog. Well, I am loath to gall a new-healed wound. Your day's service at Shrewsbury hath a little gilded over your night's exploit on Gad's Hill. You may thank the unquiet time for your quiet or posting that action. My lord? But since all is well, keep it so. Wake not a sleeping wolf. Ah, to wake a wolf is as bad as to smell a fox. What? You're a candle. The better part burnt out. Oh, a sail candle, my lord, all tallow. If I did say of wax, my growth would approve the truth. There is not a white hair on your face which should have his effect of gravity. His effect of gravy, gravy, gravy. You follow the young prince up and down like his ill angel. Not so, my lord. Your ill angel is light. But I hope that he looks upon me, will take me without weighing. And yet, in some respects, I grant I cannot go. I cannot tell. Virtue is of so little regard in these costermonger times that true valor is turned bare herd. 
pregnancy has made a tapster, and hath his quick wit wasted in giving reckonings. All the other gifts appurtenant to man, as the malice of this age shapes them, are not worth a gooseberry. You that are old, consider not the capacities of us that are young. You do measure the heat of our lives with the bitterness of your galls, and we that are in the vowed of our youth, I must confess, are wags too. Do you set down your name in the scroll of youth that are written down old with all the characters of age? Have you not a moist eye, a dry hand, a yellow cheek, a white beard, a decreasing leg, an increasing belly? Is not your voice broke, your wind short, your chin double, your wit single, and every part about you blasted with ambiguity? And will you yet call yourself young? Fie, 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 Sir John. My lord, I was born about three of the o'clock in the afternoon with a white head and something of a round belly. For my voice, I have lost it with hallowing and singing of anthems. To approve my youth further, I will not. The truth is, I am only old in judgment and understanding. And he that will caper with me for a thousand marks, let him lend me the money and have at him. For the box of the ear that the prince gave you, he gave it like a rude prince, and you took it like a sensible lord. I have checked him, and the young lion repents. Mary, not in ashes and sackcloth, but in new silk and old sack. Well, God send the prince a better companion. God send the companion a better prince. I cannot rid my hands of him. Well, the king hath severed you and Prince Henry. I hear you're going with Lord John of Lancaster against the Archbishop and the Earl of Northumberland. Yea, I thank your pretty sweet wit for it. But look you, pray, all you that kiss my lady peace at home, that our armies join not in a hot day, for by the Lord I take but two shirts out with me, and I mean not to sweat extraordinarily. If it be a hot day, and I brandish anything but a bottle, I would I might never spit white again. There is not a dangerous action can peep out his head, but I am thrust upon it. Well, I cannot last ever, but it was always yet the trick of our English nation. If they have a good thing, to make it too common. If ye will need say that I am an old man, you should give me rest. I would to God my name were not so terrible to the enemy as it is. I were better to be eaten to death with a rust than to be scoured to nothing with perpetual motion. Well, be honest. Be honest, and God bless your expedition. Will uh, your lordship lend me a thousand pound to furnish me forth? Not a penny. Not a penny! You are too impatient to bear crosses. Fare you well. Commend me to my cousin Westmoreland. Exit Chief Justice and Servant. I do... Fill it me with a three-man beetle. A man can no more separate age and covetousness than it can part with young limbs and lechery. But the gout galls the one and the pox pinches the other. And so both the degrees prevent my curses. Boy! Sir? What money is in my purse? Uh, seven groats and two pence. <sighs> you can get no remedy against this consumption of the purse. Borrowing only lingers and lingers it out, but the disease is incurable. Go. Bear this letter to my lord of Lancaster, and this to the prince, uh, this the Earl of Westmoreland, and this to old mistress Ursula. 
whom I have weakly sworn to marry since I perceived the first white hair on my chin. About it, uh, you know where to find me. Exit page. Pox of this gout, or gout of this pox. The one or the other plays the rogue with my great toe. Does no matter if I do halt. Of the wars for my color, my pension shall seem the more reasonable. A good wit will make use of anything. I will turn diseases to commodity. Exit. Scene three, York, the Archbishop's Palace. Enter Archbishop of York, the Lords Hastings, Mowbray, and Bardolph. Thus have you heard our cause, and known our means. And, my most noble friends, I pray you all, speak plainly your opinions of our hopes. And first, Lord Marshal, what say you to it? I well allow the occasion of our arms, but gladly would be better satisfied how in our means we should advance ourselves, to look upon to look with forehead bold and big enough upon the power and puissance of the king. Our present musters grow upon the file to five and twenty thousand men of choice, and our supplies live largely in the hope of great Northumberland, whose bosom burns with an incensed fire of injuries. The question then, Lord Hastings, standeth thus, whether our present five and twenty thousand may hold up head without Northumberland. With him we may. Yes, Mary, there's the point. But if without him we be thought too feeble, my judgment is we should not step too far till we had his assistance by the hand. For in a theme so bloody-faced as this, conjecture, expectation, and surmise of age and certain should not be admitted. It is very true, Lord Bardolph, for indeed, it was young Hotspur's case at Shrewsbury. It was, my lord, who lined himself with hope eating the air on promise of supply, flattering himself in a project of a power much smaller than the smallest of his thoughts. And so, with great imagination proper to madmen, led by his, led his powers to death, and winking, leapt into destruction. But by your leave, it never did hurt to lay down likelihoods and forms of hope. Yes, if this present quality of war, indeed the instant action, a cause on foot lives so in hope, as in an early spring. We see the appearing buds, which to prove fruit, hope, gives not so much warrant as despair that frosts will bite them. When we mean to build, we first survey the plots, then draw the model. And when we see the figure of the house, then we must rate the cost of the erection, which, if we find, outweighs ability. What do we then but draw anew the model in fewer offices, or at least last desist to build it all? Much more in this great work, which is almost to pluck a kingdom down the, and set another up, should we survey the plot of situation and the model consent upon a sure foundation. Question. Surveyors know our own state, how able such a work to undergo, to weigh against his opposite, or else we fortify in paper and in figures, using the names of men instead of men, and like one that draws the model of a house beyond his powers to build it. Who hath through, gives over and leaves his part created cost and naked subject to the weeping clouds, a waste for churlish winter's tyranny. Grant that our hopes, yet likely of fair birth, should be stillborn, and that we now possessed the utmost man of expectation. 
I think we are a body strong enough, even as we are, to equal with the king. What? Is the king but five and twenty thousand? To us, no more. Nay, not so much, Lord Mordolf. For his divisions, as the times do brawl, are in three heads. One power against the French, and one against Glendower, perforce a third must take up us. So is the unfirm king in three divided, and his coffers sound with hollow poverty and emptiness. That he should draw his several strengths together and come against us in full puissance need not be dreaded. If he should do so, he leaves his back unarmed. The French and Welsh, paying him at the heels, never fear that. Who is it like should lead his forces hither? The Duke of Lancaster and Westmoreland, against the Welsh himself and Harry Monmouth, but who is substituted against the French, I have no certain notice. Let us on and publish the occasion of our arms. The Commonwealth is sick of their own choice. Their over-greedy love hath surfeited. An habitation giddy and unsure hath he that buildeth on the vulgar heart. Oh, thou fond many! With what loud applause didst thou beat heaven with blessing Bolingbroke, before he was what thou wouldst have him be? And being now trimmed in thine own desires, thou, beastly feeder, art so full of him that thou provokest thyself to cast him up. So, so, thou common dog, didst thou disgorge thy glutton bosom of the royal Richard? And now thou wouldst eat thy dead vomit up, and howlst to find it what trust is in these times. They that when Richard lived would have him die, are now become enamoured on his grave. Thou, that threwst dust upon his goodly head, when through proud London he came sighing on after the admired heels of Bolingbroke, criest now, O earth, yield us that king again, oh, and take thou this. O oh, thoughts of men accursed, past and to come seems best, things present worst. Shall we draw our numbers and set on? We are time's subjects, and time bids be gone. Present. Act 2, Scene 1, London, a street. Enter Mistress Quickly, Fang and his boy with her, and Snare following. Master Fang, have you entered the action? It is entered. Where's your yeoman? Is still dusty yeoman? Will I stand to it? Sirrah, where's Snare? Oh, Lord, I, good master Snare. Here, here. Snare, we must arrest Sir John Falstaff. Yea, good Snare. Good master Snare. I have entered him in all. It may chance cost some of us our lives, for he will stab. Alas the day, take heed of him. He stabbed me in mine own house, and that was and that most beastly. In good faith he cares not what mischief he does. If his weapon be out, he will foin like any devil, he will spare neither man, woman, nor child. If I can close with him, I care not for his thrust. No, nor I neither. I'll be at your elbow. And I but fist him once, and uh come but within my vice. I am undone by his going. I warrant you, he's an infinitive thing upon my score. Good Master Fang, hold him sure. Good Master Snare, let him not scape. He comes continually to Pine Corner. 
pie corner, saving your manhoods to buy a saddle. And he is indicted to dinner to the lubber's head in, on, in Lombard Street. To master smooths the silkman. I pray ye. Since my axion is entered, and my case so openly known to the world, let him be brought in to his answer. A hundred mark is a long one for a poor lone woman to bear. And I have borne and borne and borne and have been flub fubbed off and fubbed off and fubbed off from this day to that day. It is a shame to be thought on. There is no honesty in such dealing, unless a woman should be made an ass and to beast to bear every knave's wrong. Yonder he comes and that errant momsy knows knave barred off with him. Dear offices, do your offices. Master Fang and Master Snare, do me, do me, do me your offices. Enter Falstaff, Page, and Bardolph. Different one. How now? Whose mare's dead? What's the matter? Sir John, I arrest you at the suit of Mistress Quickly. Away, varlets. Draw, Bardolph. Cut me off the villain's head and throw the queen in the channel. Throw me in the channel. I'll throw thee in the channel, wilt thou? Wilt thou, the bastardly rogue? Murder! Murder of a honeysuckle villain! Wilt thou kill God's officers and the kings? Ah, the honeyseed rogue! Thou art a honeyseed, a man queller, and a woman queller. Keep them off, Bardolph. A rescue! A rescue! Good people, bring a rescuer too. Thou what? What thou? Thou what, Wata? Do! Do thou, rogue! Do thou, hemp seed! Away, you scullion! You rampallion! You fustelarian! I'll tickle your catastrophe! Entered the Lord Chief Justice and his men. What is the matter? Keep the peace here, ho! Good, my lord. Be good to me. I beseech you, stand to me. How now, Sir John? What are you brawling here? Doth this become your place, your time and business? You should have been well on your way to York. Stand from him, fellow. <clears throat> Wherefore hangst upon him? O most worshipful lord, and it please your grace, I am a poor widow of Eastcheap, and he is arrested at my suit. For what sum? It is more than for some, my lord. It is for all. All I have, he hath eaten me out of house and home. He hath put all my substance into that fat belly of his, but I will have some of it out again, or I will ride the knights like a, a mare. I think I'm as like to ride the mare if I have any vantage of ground to get up. How comes this, Sir John? Fie! What man of good timber would endure this tempest of exclamation? Are you not ashamed to enforce a poor widow to do so rough a course to come by her own? What is the gross sum that I owe thee? Mary, if thou wert an honest man, thyself and the money too. Thou didst swear to me upon a parcel gilt goblet, sitting in my dolphin chamber at the round table, by a sea coal fire upon Wednesday in Weeson Week, when the prince broke thy head for liking his father to a singing man of Windsor, thou didst swear to me then, as I was washing thy wound, to marry me and make me my lady thy wife. Canst thou deny it? Did not goodwife Keach, the butcher's wife, come in and then call me gossip quickly, coming in to borrow a mess of vinegar, telling us she had a good dish of prawns, whereby thou didst desire to eat some, whereby I told thee they were ill for a green wound? And didst thou not, 
when she was gone downstairs, desire me to be no more so familiarity with such poor people, saying that ere long they should call me madam. Didst thou not kiss me and bid me fetch thee thirty shillings? I put thee now to thy book oath, deny it if thou canst. My lord, this is a poor, mad soul. And she says up and down the town that the eldest son is like you. She hath been in good case. And the truth is, poverty hath distracted her. But for these foolish officers, I beseech you may, I may have redress against them. Sir John, Sir John, I am well acquainted with your manner of wrenching the true cause the false way. It is not a confident brow, nor the throng of words that come with such more than impudent sauciness from you can thrust me from a level consideration. You have, as it appears to me, practiced upon the easy-yielding spirit of this woman and made her serve your uses both in purse and in person. Yea, in truth, my lord. Pray thee peace. Pay her the debt you owe her and unpay the villainy you have done her. The one you may do with sterling money, the other with current repentance. My lord, I will not undergo this sneep without reply. You call honorable boldness impudent sauciness. If a man will make courtesy and say nothing, he is virtuous. No, my lord, my humble duty remembered. I will not be your suitor. I say to you, I do desire deliverance from these officers, being upon hasty employment in the king's affairs. You speak as having power to do wrong, but answer in the effect of your reputation and satisfy this poor woman. <sighs> Come hither, hostess. Now, Master Gower. Now, Master Gower, what news? The king, my lord, and Harry, Prince of Wales, are near at hand. The rest, this paper tells. As I am a gentleman... Faith, you said so before. As I am a gentleman, calm, no more words of it. By the this heavenly ground I tread on, I be, must be feigned upon both my plate and tapestry of my dining chambers. Glasses! Glasses is the only drinking, and for thy walls a pretty slight drollery, or the story of the prodigal, or the German hunting and waterwork uh, is, a, is worth a thousand of these bed hangings and these fly-bitten tapestries. Let it be ten pound, if thou canst. Come, and for not for thy humors, there's not a better wench in England. Go, wash thy face and draw the action. Come, thou must not be in this humor with me. Dost not know me? Come, come, I know thou wast set on to this. Pray thee, Sir John, let it be but twenty nobles. If faith I am loath to pawn my plate, so God save me, la. Let it alone. I'll make others shift. You'll be a fool still. Well, you shall have it, though I pawn my gown. I hope you'll come to supper. You'll pay me altogether. Will I live? Go with her, with her. Hook on. Hook on. Will you have Dal Tearsheet meet you at supper? No more words. Let's have her. Exit Mistress Quickly, Bardolph, Officers, and Boy. I've heard better news. Well, what's the news, my lord? Where lay the king last night? At, uh, Basingstoke, my lord. lord. Oh. Quiet, I you. hope, my lord, all's well. Uh, what's the news, my lord? 
Come all his forces back. No, 1,500 foot, 500 horse are marched up by my, to my lord of Lancaster against Northumberland and the archbishop. Comes the king back from Wales, my noble lord? You shall have letters from me presently. Come, go along with me, good Master Gower. My lord. What's the matter? Master Gower, shall I entreat you with me to dinner? Uh, I must wait upon my good lord here. I thank you, good Sir John. Sir John, you loiter here too long, being you are to take soldiers up to counties as you go. Will you sup with me, Master Gower? What foolish master taught you these manners, Sir John? Master Gower, if they become me not, he was a fool that taught them me. This is the right fencing grace, my lord, tap for tap, and so part fair. Now the lord lighten thee. Thou art a great fool. Exunt, scene two, London, another street. Enter Prince Henry and Poins. Before God, I am exceeding weary. Is it come to that? I had thought weariness does not have attached one of so high blood. Faith, it does me, though it discolors the complexion of my greatness to acknowledge it. Doth it not show vilely in me to desire small beer? Why, a prince should not be so loosely studied as to remember so weak a composition. Belike, then, my appetite was not princely got, for, by my troth, I do now remember the poor creature of small beer. But, indeed, these humble considerations make me out of love with my greatness. Hmm. What a disgrace it is to me to remember thy name, or to know thy face tomorrow, or to take note how many pair of silk stockings thou hast, these, these, and those that were thy peach-colored ones, or to bear the inventory of thy shirts as one for superfluity and another for use. But the tennis court keeper knows better than I, for it is a low ebb of linen with thee when thou keepest not racket there, and thou hast not done a great while, because the rest of thy low countries have made a shift to eat up thy Holland. And God knows whether those that ball out the ruins of thy linen shall inherit his kingdom. But the midwives say the children are not in the fault, whereupon the world increases and the kindreds are mightily strengthened. How ill it follows after you have labored so hard and should talk so idly. Tell me, how many good young princes would do so, their fathers being so sick as yours is at the time? <laughs> Shall I tell thee one thing, Poins? Yes, Faith, and let it be an excellent good thing. Mm, it shall serve among wits of no higher breeding than thine. Go to! I stand the push of your one thing that you will tell. Mary, I tell thee. It is not meet that I should be sad now my father is sick albeit I could tell thee, as to one it pleases me, for fault of a better to call my friend, I could be sad, and sad indeed too. Very hardly upon a subject. By this hand, thou thinkest me as far in the devil's book as thou and Falstaff for obduracy and persistency. Let the end try the man, but I tell thee, my heart bleeds inwardly that my father is so sick, and keeping such vile company as thou art hath in reason taken from me all ostentation of sorrow. The reason? 
what wouldst thou think of me if I should weep? I would think thee a most princely hypocrite. It would be every man's thought. And thou art a blessed fellow to think as every man thinks. Never a man's thought in the world keeps the roadway better than thine. Every man would think me a hypocrite indeed. And what excites your most worshipful thought to think so? Why, because you have been so lewd and so much engraft to Falstaff. And to thee? By this light, I am well spoke on. I can hear it with mine own ears. The worst that they can say of me is that I am a second brother and that I am a proper fellow of my hands and these two things, I confess, I cannot help. Mm. Mm -hmm. uh, by the mass, here comes Bartle. Enter Bartolf and Page. And the boy that I gave Falstaff, I had him from me a Christian, and look, if the fat villain have not transformed him ape. God save your grace. And yours, most noble Bartolf. Come, you virtuous ass. You bashful fool, must you be blushing? Wherefore bless you now? What a maidenly man-at-arms are you become? Is such a matter to get Pottle Pot's maidenhead? <sighs> Has not the boy profited how? Hmm. Oh, oh, it calls me. It calls me e'en now, my lord, through a red lattice, and I could discern no part of his face from the window. At last I spied his eyes, and methought he had made two holes in the alewife's new petticoat, and so peeped through. Has not the boy profited? The way you whore, son, upright rabbit, away! Away, you rascally Althea's dream, away. Instruct us, boy. What dream, boy? Mary, my lord, Althea dreamed she was delivered of a firebrand, and therefore I call him her dream. A crown's worth of good interpretation. There it is, boy. Oh, that this good blossom could be kept from the cankers. Well, here's sixpence to preserve thee. And you do not make him hang among you? <laughs> the gallows shall have wrong. And how doth thy master, Bardolph? Well, my lord, he heard of your graces coming to town. Uh, there's a, a letter for you. Delivered with good respect. And how doth the mortal mass, your master? In bodily health, sir. Mary, the immortal part needs a physician, but that moves not him. Though that be sick, it dies not. I do allow this when to be as familiar with me as my dog, and he holds his place. For look you how he writes. All right. John Falstaff, knight. Every man must know that, as oft as he has occasion to name himself, even like those that are kin to the king, for they never prick their finger, but they say, there's some of the king's blood spilt. How comes that? Says he, that takes upon him not to conceive. The answer is as ready as a borrower's cap. I am the king's poor cousin, sir. 
Nay, they will be kin to us, or they will fetch it from Japheth, but to the letter. Sir John Falstaff, knight to the son of the king, nearest his father, Harry, Prince of Wales, Green White. This is a certificate. Peace. <clears throat> I will imitate the honorable Romans in brevity. <laughs> sure means brevity and breath, short-winded. I commend me to thee, I commend thee, and I leave thee. Be not too familiar with coins, for he misuses thy favor so much that he swears thou art to marry his sister Nell. Repent at idle times as thou mayest, and so farewell. Thine by yea and no, which is as much as to say as thou usest him. Jack Falstaff, with my familiars. John, with my brothers and sisters. And Sir John, with all of Europe. My lord, I'll steep this letter in sack and make him eat it. That's to make him eat twenty of his words. But do you use me thus, Ned? Must I marry your sister? God send the wench no worse fortune, but I never said so. Well, thus we play the fools with time, and the spirits of the wise sit in the clouds and mock us. Is your master here in London? Yea, my lord. Where's up, see? Got the old boar feed and the old frank? At the old place, my lord, in East Cheap. What company? Uh, Ephesians, my lord, of the old church. Sup any women with him? None, my lord, but old mistress quickly and mistress dull tearsheet. Hmm. What pagan may that be? A proper gentlewoman, sir, and a kinsman of my master's. Every such kin as the parish heifers are to the town bull. Shall we steal upon them then, Ned? at supper i am your shadow my lord i'll follow you sirrah you boy and bardolph no word to your master that i am yet come to town there's for your silence i have no tongue sir and for mine sir i will govern it very well go exit bardolph and page this Dull tear sheet should be some road. I warrant you, as common as the way between St. Albans and London. (laughs) (sighs) How might we see Falstaff bestow himself tonight in his true colors and not ourselves be seen? Mm -hmm. Put on two leather jerkins and aprons and wait upon him at his table as drawers. (laughs) <laughs> from a god to a bull a heavy dissension <laughs> it was jove's case from a prince to apprentice a low transformation that shall be mine for in everything the purpose must weigh with the folly follow me ned Excellent. scene three workworth before the castle enter northumberland lady northumberland and percy a lady percy I pray thee, loving wife and gentle daughter, give e'en unto that way unto my rough affairs. Put not you on this visage of the times, and be like them to Percy, troublesome. 
I've given over. I will speak no more. Do what you will. Your wisdom be your guide. Alas, sweet wife, my honor is at pawn. And but my going, nothing can redeem it. For God's sake, go not to these wars. The time was, Father, that you broke your word when you were more endeared to it than now. When your own Percy, when my heart's dear Harry, through many a Northwood look to see his father bring his powers, but he did long in vain. Who then persuaded you to stay at home? There were two honors lost, yours and your son's. For yours, the God of heaven brightened it. For his, it struck upon him as the sun in the gray vault of heaven. And by his light did all the chivalry of England move to do brave acts. He was indeed the glass wherein the noble youth did dress themselves he had no legs that practiced not his gait. And speaking thick, which nature made his blemish, became the accents of the valiant. For those that could speak low and tardily would turn their own perfection to abuse to seem like him. So that in speech, in gait, in diet, in affections of delight, in military rules, humors of blood, he was the mark and glass and copy and book that fashioned others and him. Wondrous him. Oh, miracle of men. Him did you leave, seconded to none, unseconded by you, to look upon the hideous god of war in disadvantage, to abide a field where nothing but the sound of Hotspur's name did seem defensible, so you left him. Never, oh, never do his ghost the wrong to hold your honor more precise and nice with others than with him. Let them alone. The marshal and the archbishop are strong. Had my sweet Harry had but half their numbers, today might I, hanging upon Hotspur's neck, have talked of Monmouth's grave. Through your heart, fair daughter, you do draw my spirit from me with new lamenting ancient oversights. But I must go and meet with danger there, or it will seek me in another place and find me worse provided. Oh, fly to Scotland! Till that the nobles and the armed commons have their puissance made a little taste. If they get ground and vantage of the king, then I'll join you with them like rig of steel to make strength stronger. But for all your loves, first let them try themselves. So did your son. He was so suffered, so came I a widow. And never shall have length of life enough to reign upon remembrance with mine eyes that it I may grow, sprout as high as heaven for record a nation 
to my noble husband. Come, come, go in with me. Tis with my mind, as with the tide swelled up unto his heights, that makes us still stand, running neither way. Fain would I go to meet the archbishop, but many thousand reasons hold me back. I will resolve for Scotland. There I am, till time and vantage crave my company. Exist. Scene four, London, the Boar's Head Tavern in East Cheap. Enter two drawers. What the devil hast thou brought there? Apple Johns? Thou knowest Sir John cannot endure an Apple John. <laughs> Mass, thou sayest true. The prince once set a dish of Apple Johns before him and told him there were five more Sir Johns and putting off his hat said, I will now take my leave of these six dry round old withered knights. It angered him to the heart, but he hath forgot that. Why then cover and set them down and see if thou canst find out sneak's noise. Mistress Tearsheet would fain hear some music. Dispatch. The room where they supped is too hot. They'll come in straight. Oh, sirrah, here will be the prince and Master Poins anon, and they will put on two of our jerkins and aprons, and Sir John must not know of it. Sir Bardolph hath brought word. <laughs> oh, by the mass. Here will be old Eudas. It will be an excellent stratagem. I'll see if I can find out Sneak. Exit. Enter Mistress Quickly and Dull Tearsheet. If faith, sweetheart, methinks now you are in an excellent good temporality. Your pulsage beats as extraordinarily as heart would desire, and your color, I warrant you, is as red as any rose. In good truth, la. But if faith, you have drunk too much canaries, and that's some marvelous searching wine, and it perfumes the blood ere one can say, what's this? How do you now? Better than I was. <laughs> Why, that's well said. Uh, good heart's worth gold. Lo, here comes Sir John. Enter Falstaff. When Arthur first in court. Oh, empty the Jordan. Exit first drawer. And was a worthy king. How now, Mistress Doll? Sick of a calm. Yea, good faith. So is all her sect, and they be once in a calm, they are sick. You muddy rascal. Is that all the comfort you give me? You make fat rascals, Mistress Doll. I make them. Gluttony and diseases make them. I make them not. If the cook helped to make the gluttony, you helped to make the diseases. Doll, we catch of you. Doll, we catch of you. Grant that. My poor virtue, grant that. Yea, joy. Our chains and our jewels. Your brooches, pearls, and ouches. Ugh. For to serve bravely is to come halting off, you know. To come off the breach with this pike bent bravely and to surgery bravely. To venture upon the charged chambers bravely. Oh, hang yourself, you muddy conjure. Hang yourself. By my troth, this is the the old fashion. You two never meet, but you fall into some discord. You are both a good truth, as rheumatic as two dry toasts. You cannot bear with one another's conform conformities. What the good year. One must bear, and that must be you. You are the weaker vessel, as they say, the emptier vessel. Weak, empty vessel bear such a huge, full 
Hogshead. <laughs> There's a whole merchant's venture Bordeaux stuffing him. You have not seen a Hulk better stuffed in the hold. <laughs> come, come, I'll be friends with thee, Jack. Thou art going to the wars. Whether I shall ever see thee again or no, there's nobody cares. <laughs> Re-enter first drawer. Uh, sir, ancient pistols below and would speak with you. Him, swaggering rascal. Let him not come hither. It is the foul-mouthed rogue in England. If he swagger, let him not come here. No, by my faith, I must live among my neighbors. I'll know swaggerers. I'm in good name and fame with the very best. Shut the door. There come no swaggerers here. I have not lived all this time to have swaggering now. Shut the door, I pray you. Dost thou hear, hostess? Pray ye pacify yourself, Sir John. There comes no swaggerers here. Dost thou hear? It is mine ancient. Tilly Fally, Sir John, ne'er tell me. Your ancient swagger comes not in my doors. I was before Master Tissick, the deputy, the other day, and he said to me, "'Twas no longer than Wednesday last, if faith good neighbor quickly,' says he, "'Master Dumb, our minister, was by then neighbor quickly,' says he, "'receive those that are civil. "'For,' he said, "'you are in an ill name. "'Now a said so, I can tell whereupon, for,' he says, "'you are an honest woman and well thought on. "'Therefore, take heed what guests you receive. "'Receive,' says he. No swaggering companions. There comes none here. You would bless you to hear what he said. No, I'll no swaggerers. He's no swaggerer, hostess. A, a tame cheater of faith. You may stroke him as gently as a puppy greyhound. He'll not swagger with the Barbary hen. If her feathers turn back in any show of resistance, uh, call him up, drawer. Exit first drawer. Cheater, call you him. I will bar no honest man my house, nor no cheater, but I do not love swaggering by my troth. I am worse when one says swagger. Feel, masters, how I shake. Look, you, I warrant you. So you do, hostess. Do I? Yea, in very truth do I. And for an aspen leaf, I cannot abide swaggerers. Enter Pistol, Bardolph, and Page. God save you, Sir John. Welcome, ancient Pistol, here. Pistol, I charge you with a cup of sack. Do you discharge upon mine hostess? I will discharge upon her, Sir John, with two bullets. She is pistol-proof, sir. You shall hardly offend her. Come, I'll drink no proofs nor no bullets. I'll drink no more than will do me good for no man's pleasure, I. Then to you, Mistress Dorothy, I will charge you. Charge me? I scorn you, scurvy companion. What? You poor, base, rascally, cheating, lack-linen mate. Away, you moldy rogue, away. I am meat for your master. I know you, Mistress Dorothy. Huh. Away, you cut-purse rascal, you filthy bung, away. By this wine, I'll thrust my knife in your moldy chaps. And you play the saucy cuddle with me. Away, you bottle-ale rascal. You basket-hilt stale juggler, you. Since when, I pray you, sir, God's light with two points on your shoulder? Much. God let me not live, but I will murder your ruff for this. No more, Pistol. I would not have you go off here. Discharge yourself of our company, Pistol. 
No, good Captain Pistol. Not here, sweet Captain. Captain? Thou abominable, damned cheater. Art thou not ashamed to be called Captain? And captains were of my mind. They would truncheon you out for taking their names upon you before you have earned them. You, a captain? You slave for what? For tearing a poor whore's ruff in a body house? He, a captain? Hang him, rogue. He lives upon moldy stewed prunes and dried cakes. <laughs> a captain! God's light! These villains will make the word as odious as the word occupy, which was an excellent good word before it was ill-sorted. Therefore, captains had need look to it. Pray thee go down, good ancient. Hark thee hither, Mistress Doll. Not I tell thee what, Corporal Bardock. I could tear her. I'll be revenged of her. <laughs> oh, pray thee, go down. I'll see her damned first to Pluto's damned lake by this hand, to the infernal deep with Erebus and tortures vile also. Hold hook line, hook and line, say I. Down, down, dogs, down, faders. Have we not Hiron here? Good Captain Peasel, be quiet. Tis very late of faith, I beseech you now, aggravate your collar. These be good humors, indeed. Shall pack horses and hollow pampered jades of Asia, which cannot go but 30 mile a day, compare with Caesars and with cannibals and Trojan Greeks? Nay, rather damn them with King Cerberus and let the welkin roar. Shall we fall foul for toys? By my troth, Captain, these are very bitter words. Mm. Be gone, good ancient. This will grow to a brawling on. Die, men, like dogs. Give crowns like pins. Have we not heron here? Oh, my word, Captain, there's none such here. What the good year? Do you think I would deny her? For God's sake, be quiet. Then feed and be fat, my fair Calipolis. Come, give some sack. Fortune me torments. Ooh. Si fortune mi tormente, sperato mi contento? Fear we broadsides? No, let the fiend give fire. Give me some sack, and sweetheart, lie down there. Laying down his sword. Come, we to full points here, and are et cetera's nothing? Pistol, I would be quiet. Sweet knight, I kiss thy neath. What, we have seen the seven stars. God's sakes! Thrust him downstairs! I cannot endure such a thirsty rascal. Thrust him down the stairs. Know we not Galloway nags? Oh, quit him down, Bardolph, like a shove-groat shilling. Nay, and I do nothing but speak nothing. There shall be nothing here. Come, um, get you downstairs. What, shall we have incision? Shall we embrew? Snatching up his sword. Then death rock me asleep abridge my doleful days. Why then let grievous, ghastly, gaping wounds untwine the sisters three? Come, Atropo, I say. Here's goodly stuff toward. Uh, give me my rapier, boy. Oh, I pray thee, Jack, I pray thee, do not draw. Get you down stairs. Drawing and driving pistol out. Here's a goodly tumult. I'll forswear keeping that house, afore I'll be in these turrets and frights. So murder I warrant now. Alas, alas, put up your naked weapons. Put up your naked weapons. Exunt pistol and Bardolph. I pray thee, Jack, 
be quiet. The rascal's gone. Ah, you whoresome little valiant villain, you. He you not hurt in the groin. Methought it made a shrewd thrust at your belly. Re-enter Bardolph. <clears throat> Have you turned him out of doors? Yes, sir. The rascal's drunk. You have heard him, sir, in the shoulder. A rascal to brave me. Ah, oh, you sweet little rogue, you alas, poor ape. How thou sweatest. Oh, um, let me wipe thy face. Come on, you horse and chops. Oh, rogue. In faith, I love thee. Thou art as valorous as Hector of Troy, worth five of Agamemnon, and ten times better than the nine worthies. Ah, villain. A rascally slave. I will toss the rogue in a blanket. Do, and thou darest for thy heart, and thou dost or canvas thee between a pair of sheets. Enter music. Uh, the music is come, oh. sir. Let them play. Play, sirs. Sit on my knee, doll. Rascal, oh. begging slave. The rogue fled from me like quicksilver. In faith, and thou followedst him like a church. Thou horse and little tidy Bartholomew bore pig. When wilt thou leave fighting a days and appointing a nights and begin to patch up thine old body for heaven? Enter behind Prince Henry and Poins disguise. Peace, good doll, do not speak like a death's head. Do not bid me remember mine end. Sirrah, what humor is the prince of? Good, shallow young fellow. You would have made a good pantler. You would have chipped bread well. They say Poins has a good wit. <laughs> a good wit? Hang him, baboon. His wit's as thick as Tewksbury mustard. There's no more conceit in him than there is in a mallet. Why does the prince love him so then? <sighs> Their legs are both of a bigness, and he plays it quite swell. He eats conger and fennel, and drinks off candles in for flap dragons, and rides the wild mare with the boys, and jumps upon joint stools, and swears with good grace. Wears his boots very smooth, like under the sign of the leg, and breeds no bait with telling of discreet stories. Such other gamble faculties he has that show a weak mind and an able body. For the witch, the prince admits him. For the prince himself is such another. The weight of a hair will turn the scales between their avoir du poids. This knave of a wheel have his ears cut off. Let's beat him before his whore. Look, whether the withered elder hath not his pole clawed like a parrot. Is it not strange that desire should so many years outlive performance? Mm. Kiss me, doll. Saturn and Venus this year in conjunction. What says the almanac to that? Oh, and look, whether the fiery trigon, his man, be not lisping to his master's old tables, his notebook, his council keeper. Thou dost give me flattering buses. By my trust, I kiss thee with a most constant heart. <sighs> I'm old. 
I'm old. I love thee better than I love e'er scurvy young boy about them all. <laughs> what stuff will have a curdle of? I shall receive money at Thursday. Shall have a cap tomorrow. A merry song. Come, it goes grows late. We'll to bed. Don't forget me when I'm gone. By my troth, thou set me a weeping, and thou sayest so. Prove that ever I dress myself handsome till thy return. Well, hearken at the end. <sighs> Some sack, Francis. Anon, 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 sir. They come forward. Bastard son of the kings, and are there not Poins' his brother? Why, hmm. <clears throat> thou globe of sinful continence, what a life thou dost lead! Better than thou, uh, I am a gentleman, thou art a drawer. Very true, sir, and I come to draw you out by the ears. Oh, the Lord preserve thy good grace, by my troth. Welcome to London. Now, the Lord bless that sweet face of thine. Oh, Jesu, are you come from Wales? Oh, horse and mad compound of majesty by this light flesh and corrupt blood. Thou art welcome. Oh, you fat fool. I scorn you. Uh, my lord. He will drive you out of your revenge and turn all to merriment if you take not the heat. Horse and candle, mind you, how vilely did you speak of me even now before this honest, virtuous, civil, gentlewoman? God's blessing of your good heart, and so she is by my trial. Didst thou hear me? Yea, and you knew me as you did when you ran away by Gad's Hill. You knew I was at your back and spoke it on purpose to try my patience. No, 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 not so. I did not think thou wast within hearing. I shall drive you then to confess the willful abuse, and then I know how to handle you. No abuse, Hal, in mine honor, no abuse. Not to dispraise me and call me pantier and bread chipper and i know not what no abuse how oh no abuse no abuse ned in the world honest ned none i dispraised him before the wicked that the wicked might not fall in love with him in which doing i have done the part of a careful friend and a true subject thy father is to give me thanks for it no abuse how none ned none faith boys none See now, whether pure fear and entire cowardice doth not make thee wrong this virtuous gentlewoman to close with us. Is she of the wicked? Is thine hostess here of the wicked? Or is thy boy of the wicked? Or honest Bardolph, whose zeal burns in his nose, of the wicked? Answer, thou dead elm, answer. The fiend hath pricked down Bardolph irrecoverable, and his face is Lucifer's privy kitchen, where he doth nothing but roast mulled worms. For the boy, there is a good angel about him, but the devil outbids him too. For the women? Uh, For one of them, she is in hell already and burns poor souls. For the other, I owe her money, and whether she be damned for that, I know not. 
No, I warrant you. No, I think thou art not. I think thou art quit for that. Mary, there is another indictment upon thee for suffering flesh to be eaten in thy house contrary to the law, for the which I think thou wilt howl. All victuallers do so, with a joint of mutton or two and a whole lent. You, gentlewoman. Yes, you, you. Yeah. What says your grace? His grace says that which his flesh rebels against. Who knocks so loud at the door? Look to the door there, Francis. Enter Petto. Petto, how now? What news? Uh, the king, your father, is at Westminster, and there are twenty weak and wearied posts come from the north. And as I came along, I met and overtook a dozen captains, bareheaded, sweating, knocking at the taverns, and asking everyone for Sir John Falstaff. By heaven, coins, I feel me much to blame so idly to profane the precious time when tempest of commotion, like the south born with black vapor, doth begin to melt and drop upon our bare, unarmed heads. Give me my sword and cloak. Falstaff, good night. Exit Prince Henry, Poins, Pito, and Bardolph. <sighs> now comes in the sweetest morsel of the night, and we must have left, we must hence and leave it unpicked. More knocking at the door. Re-enter Bardolph. How now, what's the matter? You must away to court, sir, presently. A dozen captains stay at door for you. Uh, pay the musician, sir. Farewell, hostess. Farewell, doll. You see, my good wenches, how men of merit are sought after. The underserver may sleep when the man of action is called on. Farewell, good wenches. If I be not sent away post, I will see you again ere I go. I cannot speak. If my heart be not red to burst... Well, sweet Jack, have a care of thyself. Farewell. Farewell. Exent Falstaff and Bardolph. Well, fare thee well. I have known these 29 years come peace good time, but an honester and truer hearted man. Well, fare thee well. Mistress Tearsheet! What's the matter? Good Mistress Tearsheet, come to my master. Oh, run, doll, run. Run, good doll, come. She comes blubbered. Yea, will you come, doll? Exit. Act three, scene one, Westminster, the palace. Enter King Henry the Fourth in his nightgown with a page. Oh, all the earls of Surrey and of Warwick. But ere they come, bid them read o'er these letters. And well consider them. Make good speed. Exit page. How many thousand of my poorest subjects are at this hour asleep? Oh, sleep. Oh, gentle sleep, nature's soft nurse. How have I frighted thee? But thou no more wilt weigh my eyelids down. And steep my senses in forgetfulness. Why, rather sleep liest thou in smoky cribs upon uneasy pallets, stretching thee and 
hushed with buzzing night flies to thy slumber than in the perfumed chambers of the great, under the canopies of costly state and lulled with sound of sweetest melody. Oh, thou dull god, why liest thou with the vile in loathsome beds and leavest the kingly couch a watch case or common larum bell? Wilt thou upon the high and giddy mast seal up the ship-boy's eyes and rock his brains in cradle of the rude imperious surge and in the visitation of the winds who take the ruffian billows by the top curling their monstrous heads and hanging them with deafening clamor in the slippery clouds that with the hurly death itself awakes canst thou Oh, partial sleep, give thy repose to the wet sea boy in an hour so rude, and in the calmest and most stillest night with all appliances and means to boot, deny it to a king? Then happy low, lie down. Uneasy lies the head that wears the crown. Enter Warwick and Surrey. Many good morrows to your majesty. Is it good morrow, lords? Uh, Tis one o'clock and past. Aye, then. Good morrow to you all, my lords. Have you read all the letters that I sent you? We have, my liege. Then you perceive the body of our kingdom. How foul it is. What rank diseases grow... And with what danger near the heart of it? It is but as a body yet distempered, which to his former strength may be restored with good advice and little medicine. My lord Northumberland will soon be cooled. God, that one might read the book of fate and see the revolution of the times, make mountains level and the continent weary of solid firmness melt itself into the sea. And other times to see the beachy girdle of the ocean too wide for Neptune's hips. How chances mock and changes fill the cup of alteration with divers' liquors. Oh, if this were seen, the happiest youth viewing his progress through what perils past, what crosses to ensue, would shut the book and set him down and die. Tis not ten years gone since Richard and Northumberland, great friends, did feast together, and in two years after were they at wars. But it is eight years since this Percy was the man nearest my soul, who, like a brother, toiled in my affairs and laid his love and life under my foot. Yea, for my sake, even to the eyes of Richard, gave him defiance. But which of you was by? You, cousin Neville, as I may remember, when, when Richard, with his eye brimful of tears, then checked and rated by Northumberland, did speak these words, now proved a prophecy. Northumberland, 
Thou ladder by the which my cousin Bolingbroke ascends my throne. Well, then, God knows, I had no such intent. But that necessity so bowed the state that I and greatness were compelled to kiss. The time shall come, thus did he follow it. The time will come that foul sin gathering heads shall break into corruption. So went on, foretelling this same time's condition and the division of our amity. There is a history in all men's lives, figuring the nature of the times deceased. The witch observed a man may prophecy with a near aim of the main chance of things as yet not come to life, which in their seeds and weak beginnings lie entreasured. Such things become the hatch and brood of time, and by the necessary form of this, King Richard might create a perfect guess that great Northumberland then false to him would of that seed grow to a greater falseness, which should not find a ground to root upon unless on you. Are these things then necessities? Then let us meet them like necessities. And that same word even now cries out on us. They say the bishop and Northumberland are 50,000 strong. It cannot be, my lord. Rumor doth double like the voice and echo the numbers of the fear. Please it your grace to go to bed. Upon my soul, my lord, the powers that you already have sent forth shall bring this prize in very easily. To comfort you, the more I have received a certain instance that Glendower is dead. Your majesty hath been this fortnight ill, and these unseasoned hours perforce must add unto your sickness. I will take your counsel. And were these inward wars once out of hand, we would, dear lords, unto the Holy Land. Exempt. Scene two, Gloucestershire, before Shallow's house. Enter Shallow and Silence meeting. Moldy, Shadow, Wart, Feeble, Bullcalf, a servant, and two with them. Oh, come on, come on, come on, sir. Give me your hand, sir. Oh, give me your hand, sir. An early stir by the rude. And how doth my good cousin Silence... Good morrow, good cousin Shallow. Uh, by yea and nay, sir, I dare say my cousin William is become a good scholar. He is at Oxford still, is he not? Indeed, sir, to my cost. I must then to the Inns of Court shortly. I was once of Clement's Inn, where I think they will talk of mad Shallow yet. And you were called lusty Shallow then, cousin. By the mass, I was called anything. And I would have done anything indeed, too. And Randley, too. There was I, and little John Doyd of Staffordshire, and Black George Barnes, and Francis Pickbone, and Will Squeal, a a cots old man. You had not four such swinge bucklers in all the inns of court again. And I must say to you, we knew where the bonarobas were, and had the best of them at all commandments. Then was Jack Falstaff, now Sir John, a boy, and page to Thomas Mowbray, Duke of Norfolk. This Sir John cousin that comes hither and on about soldiers? The same. The same, Sir John. The very same. I see him break Scogan's head at the court gate when I was a crack knot thus high. And the very same day did I fight with one um, the, uh, Samson Stockfish, a fruiterer behind Gray's Inn. Jesus, Jesus, the mad days that I have spent. 
and to see how many of my old acquaintance are dead. They shall all follow, cousin. Certain. Tis certain. Very sure. Very sure. Death, as the psalmist saith, is certain to all. All shall die. How good yoke of bullocks at Stamford Fair. By my troth, I was not there. No. Death is certain. Uh, is old double of your town living yet? Dead, sir. Jesus, Jesus. Dead. I drew a good bow and dead. Shot fine shoot. John Agant loved him well and betted much money on his head. Dead. Oh. I would have clapped in the cloud at 12 score and carried you a forehand shaft of 14 and 14 and a half that would have done a man's heart good to see. Uh, how a score of yous now? Thereafter, as they be, a score of good yous may be worth 10 pounds. Mm. And is old double dead? Here come two of Sir John Falstaff's men, as I think. Enter Bardolph and one with him. <clears throat> Good morrow, honest gentlemen. I, I beseech you, which is just as shallow? I am Robert Shallow, sir, a poor esquire of this county, and one of the king's justices of the peace. What is your good pleasure with me? My captain, sir, commends him to you. My captain, Sir John Falstaff, a tall gentleman, by heaven, and a most gallant leader. He greets me well, sir. I knew him a good backsward man. How about the good night? Uh, may I ask how my lady his wife doth? Sir, pardon, a soldier is better accommodated than with a wife. It is well said in faith, sir. And it is well said indeed, too. Better accommodated. It is good. Yay, indeed it is. Good phrases are surely and ever were very commendable. Accommodated. It comes of accommodo. Very good. A good phrase. Pardon me, sir. I have heard the word, hmm. phrase, call you it. Uh, by this good day, I know not the phrase, but I will maintain the word with my sword to be a soldier-like word and a, a word of exceeding good command by heaven. Accommodated, that is, when a man is, as they say, accommodated, or when a man is being whereby a may, may be thought to be accommodated, which is an excellent thing. It is very just. Enter Falstaff. Oh, look who comes here, good Sir John. Give me your good hand. Give me your worship's good hand. By my troth, you like well and bear your years very well. Welcome, good Sir John. <laughs> I'm glad to see you well, good Master Robert Shallow. Uh, Master Shirkard, as I think? Uh, no, 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 Sir John. It is my cousin Silence in commission with me. Good master silence. It well befits you should be of the peace. Your good worship is welcome. <sighs> Fine. This is hot weather, gentlemen. <laughs> have you provided me here a half dozen sufficient men? Mary, have we, sir? Will you sit? Let me see them, I beseech you. Oh, uh, where's the roll? Where's the roll? Where's the roll? Ah, let me see. Let me see. So, so... Yay, Mary, sir. Uh, Ralph Moldy, uh, let them appear as I call. Let them do so, let them do so. Let me see. Where's Moldy? Here, and please you. Oh, what thank you, Sir John. A good-limbed fellow, young, 
strong, and of good friends. Is thy name Moldy? Yea, and please you. Uh, Tis the more time thou wert used. (laughs) (laughs) Most excellent of faith things that are moldy lack use. (laughs) Very singular good. If faith, well said, Sir John. Very well said. Uh, Prick him. I was pricked well enough before, and you could have let me alone. My old dame will be undone now for for one to do her husbandry and her drudgery. You need not to have pricked me. There are other men fitter to go out than I. Go to peace, Moldy. You shall go. Moldy, it is time you were spent. (laughs) Spent? Peace, fellow. Peace. Stand aside. Know you where you are? For the other Sir John, let me see. Uh, Simon Shadow. <laughs> Mary, let me have him to sit under. He's like to be a cold soldier. Where's Shadow? Shadow. Hello? Shadow? Shadow? Shadow, where are you? Scurvy bastard. I know he's here somewhere. Don't embarrass me in front of Sir John Falseth. Please don't do it. Come on, Shadow. Come on. Take one for the team. Ah! There he is. There he is. Hey. Shadow is... You'll do! You'll do just fine. Okay. Uh, Can you tell me where the Shadow's line is? Where's Shadow? Oh, here, sir. Shadow! (laughs) Whose son art thou? My mother's son, sir. Thy mother's son? Hmm. Like enough, and thy father's shadow, so the son of the female is the shadow of the male. It is often so indeed, but much of the father's substance. Do you like him, Sir John? Shadow will serve for summer. Prick him. We have a number of shadows to fill up the muster book. Mm. Thomas Wart. Where's he? Here, sir. Thy name... Wart? Yea, sir. Thou art a very ragged wart. Uh, shall I prick him down, Sir John? It were superfluous, for his apparel is built upon his back and his whole frame stands upon pins. Prick him no more. <laughs> you can do it, sir. You can do it. I commend you well. Francis Feeble. He- here, sir. What trade art thou, feeble? Uh, a woman's tailor, sir. Shall I prick him, sir? You may, but if he had been a man's tailor, he'd have pricked you. <laughs> Wilt thou make as many holes in an enemy's battle as thou hast done in a woman's petticoat? 
Uh, I, I, I will do my goodwill, sir. You, you can have no more. <laughs> well, well said, good woman's tailor. Well said, courageous, feeble. Thou wilt be as valiant as the, the wrathful dove or a most magnanimous mouse. Prick the woman's tailor well, Master Shallow. Deep, Master Shallow. I, 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 I would wart might have gone, sir. I would thou wert a man's tailor, that thou mightst mend him and make him fit to go. I cannot put him to a private soldier that is the leader of so many thousands. Let <laughs> that suffice, most forcible feeble. Uh, it, it, it shall suffice, sir. I am bound to thee, reverend feeble. Who's next? Peter Bullcalf of the Green. Yay, Mary, let's see Bullcalf. <coughs> Here, sir. Four. God, a likely fellow, come. Prick me bullcalf till he roar again. <coughs> what? <coughs> Good, my captain. What? <coughs> Dost thou roar before thou art pricked? Oh, Lord. <laughs> sir. I am a diseased man. What disease hast thou? Oh, <laughs> oh some cold. Sir, <coughs> cough. <coughs> Sir, which I, I caught with ringing in, in the king's affairs <coughs> upon his coronation day. Sir. Come, thou shalt go to the wars in a gown. We'll have away thy cold. Take such order that my friends shall ring for thee. Is here all? Uh, here is to more called than your number. You must have but four here, sir. And so I pray you, go in with me to dinner. Come, I will go drink with you, but I cannot tarry dinner. I'm glad to see you by my troth, Master Shallow. Well, sir John, do you remember since we lay all night in the windmill in St. George's Field. <laughs> oh, oh, no more of that. Good Master Shallow, no more of that. <laughs> it was a merry night. And is Jane Nightwork alive? She lives, Master Shallow. Huh. She never cut away with me. Never. Never. She would always say she could not abide Master Shallow. <laughs> By the mass, I could anger her to the heart. She was then a uh, bonaroba. Does she hold her own well? Old, old, Master Shallow. Hey, she must be old. She cannot choose but be old. Certain she's old. And had Robin Nightwork by old Nightwork before I came to Clement's Inn. That's 55 years ago. Mm. <laughs> Cousin Silence. That thou had seen that that this night and I have seen. Sir John, said I well. We, uh, we have heard the chimes at midnight, Master Shallow. That we have. That we have. That we have. In faith, Sir John, we have. Our watchword was, hem boys, come, let's to dinner, come. Let's to dinner. Jesus, the days that we have seen. Come, come. 
exeunt Falstaff and justices. <coughs> Good master, Corporal Baldoff. Stan, my friend. And here's four Harry ten shillings in French crowns for you. <coughs> in very truth, sir, I has had a leave to be hanged, sir, as to go. <coughs> and yet for mine own part, sir, I do not care. <coughs> but rather because I am unwilling and for mine own part, have a desire to stay <coughs> with my friends. <coughs> Else, sir, I did not care <laughs> for mine own part so much. Go to stand aside. And, and good master corporal captain, uh, for my old dame's sake, stand my friend. She has nobody to do anything about her when I am gone, and she is old and cannot help herself. You shall have 40, sir. Go to. Stand aside. <sighs> By my troth, I, 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 I care not. Uh, a man can die but once. We owe God a death. I'll, I'll I'll never bear a base mind, and, and it be my destiny. So and 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 be not. So no man is too good to serve his prince, and and let it go which way it will. He that d- dies this year is is quit for the next. Well said. <laughs> Thou art a good man, good fellow. Faith, I'll, I'll bear no base mind. Re-enter Falstaff and the justices. Um, sir, which men shall I have? Four of which you please. Sir, a word with you. I have three pound, the free moldy and bull calf. Go to, well. Come, Sir John, which four will you have? Do you choose for me? Mary, then, um, Moldy, Bullcalf, Feeble, and Shadow. Moldy mm, and Bullcalf. For you, uh, Moldy, stay at home till you are past service. And for your part, Bullcalf, grow till you come into it. I, I will none of you. Sir John. Sir John, do not yourself wrong. They're your likeliest men, and I would have you served with the best. Will you tell me, Master Shallow, how to choose a man? Care I for the limb, the thews, the stature, bulk, and big assemblance of a man? Give me the spirit, Master Shallow. Here's Wart. See what a ragged appearance it is. She'll charge you and discharge you with the motion of a pewterer's hammer. Come off and on, swifter than he that gibbets for the brewer's bucket. And this same half-faced fellow, Shadow, give me this man. He presents no mark to the enemy. The foeman may, with his great aim, level at the edge of a pocket knife. Oh, and for retreat, how swiftly will... This feeble, the woman's tailor, run off. Oh, give me the spare men and spare me the great ones. Put me a caliver into Wart's hands, Bardolph. Old Wart, 
Traverse. Thus. 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 Come. Manage me, your caliber. So, very well. Uh, go to. Very good. Exceeding good. Oh, give me always a little lean old chap bald shot. Well said, it, Faith. Wart, thou art a good scab. Hold, there's a tester for thee. He is not his craft's master. He does not do it right. I remember at Mile End Green when I lay at Clement's Inn, uh, I was then Sir Dagonet in Arthur's show. There was a little quiver fellow and would manage you a piece piece thus and would about and about and come in you and come you in and rah, ta, wah, ta, would I say and bounce, would I say and, would, and again with a go and again would I come and I, I shall never see such a fellow. These fellows will do well, Master Shallow. God keep you, Master Silence. I will not use many words with you. <laughs> Fare you well, gentlemen both. I thank you. I must a dozen mile tonight. Bardolph, give the soldiers coats. Sir John, the Lord bless you. God prosper your affairs. God send us peace at your return visit our house. Let our old acquaintance be renewed. Peradventure, I will with ye to the court. For God, I would you would, Master Shallow. Go to. I have spoken a word. God keep you. Fare you well, gentle gentlemen. Exent justices. On, Bardolph. Lead the men away. Exent Bardolph, recruits and company. As I return, I will fetch off these justices. I do see the bottom of Justice Shallow. Lord, Lord, how how subject we old men are to this vice of lying. This same starved justice hath done nothing but prate to me of the wildness of his youth and the feats he hath done about Turnbull Street and every third word a lie. Do were paid to the hearer than the Turk's tribute. I do remember him at Clement's Inn like a man made after supper of a cheese pairing. When it was naked, he was for all the world like a forked radish with a head fantastically carved upon it with a knife. He was so forlorn that his dimensions to any thick sight were invincible. He was the very genius of famine, yet lecherous as a monkey, and the whores called him Mandrake. (laughs) He came ever in the rearward of the fashion and sung those tunes to the overscutched huswives and he heard the Carmen whistle and swear they were his fancies or his good nights. And now, is this vice's dagger become a squire and talks as familiarly of John a Gaunt as if he had been sworn brother to him? And I'll be sworn. And there saw him once but once in the tilt yard. And then he burst his head for crowding among the marshal's men. I saw it and told John Agaunt he'd beat his own name. For you might have thrust him and all his apparel into an eel skin. The case of a trouble Obois was a mansion for him, a court. And now he has land and beefs. Well, I will be acquainted with him. If I return... It shall go hard, but I will make him a philosopher's two stones to me. If the young days be bait for the old pike, 
see no reason the law of nature, but I may snap at him. Let time shape there an end. Exit. Act 4, Scene 1, Yorkshire, Gultree Forest. Enter the Archbishop of York, Mowbray, Lord Hastings, and others. What is this forest called? Tis Gultree Forest, and it shall please your grace. Here stand, my lords, and send discoverers forth to know the numbers of our enemies. We have sent forth already. It is well done. My friends and brethren in these great affairs, I must acquaint you that I have received new dated letters from Northumberland. Their cold intent, tenor and substance thus. Here doth he wish his person, with such powers as might hold sortance with his quality, the which he could not levy, whereupon he is retired to ripe his growing fortunes to Scotland, and concludes in hearty prayers that your attempts may overlive the hazard and fearful melting of their opposite. Thus do the hopes we have in him touch ground and dash themselves to pieces. How what news? West of this forest, uh, scarcely off a mile in goodly form comes on the enemy. And by the ground they hide, I judge their number upon or near the rate of 30,000. The just proportion that we gave them out, let us sway on and face them in the field. Now what well-appointed leader fronts us here? I think it is my lord of Westmoreland. Health and fair greeting from our general, the prince, Lord John, and Duke of Lancaster. Say on, my lord of Westmoreland, in peace, what doth concern your coming? Then, my lord, unto your grace do I in chief address the substance of my speech. If that rebellion came like itself in base and abject routs, led on by bloody youth guarded with rags and countenanced by boys and beggary, I say, if damned commotion so appeared in his true, native, and most proper shape, you, reverend father, and these noble lords had not been here to dress the ugly form of base and bloody insurrection with your fair honors. You, Lord Archbishop, whose sea is by a civil peace maintained, whose beard the silver hand of peace hath touched, whose learning and good letters peace hath tutored, whose white investments figure innocence, the dove and very blessed spirit of peace, wherefore do you so ill translate ourselves out of the speech of peace that bears such grace into the harsh and boisterous tongue of war, turning your books to graves, your ink to blood, your pens to lances, and your tongue divine to a trumpet and a point of war? Wherefore do I this? So the question stands. Briefly to this end, we are all diseased, and with our surfeiting and wanton hours have brought ourselves into a burning fever, and we must bleed for it. 
of which disease our late King Richard, being infected, died. But my most noble Lord of Westmoreland, I take not on me here as a physician, nor do I as an enemy to peace troop in the throngs of military men, but rather show a while like fearful war to diet rank minds sick of happiness and purge the obstructions which begin to stop our very veins of life. Hear me more plainly. I have in equal balance justly weighed what wrongs our arms may do, what wrongs we suffer, and find our griefs heavier than our offenses. We see which way the stream of time doth run and are enforced from our most quiet, thereby thereby the rough torrent of occasion, and have the summary of all our griefs when time shall serve to show in articles, which long ere this we offered to the king and might by no suit gain our audience. When we are wronged and would unfold our griefs, we are denied access unto his person, even by those men that have done us wrong. The dangers of the days but newly gone, whose memory is written on the earth with yet appearing blood, and the examples of every minute's instance present now hath put us in these ill-beseeming arms, not to break peace or any branch of it, but to establish here a peace indeed, concurring both in name and quality. Whenever yet was your appeal denied? Wherein have you been galled by the king? What peer hath been suborned to grate on you that you should seal this lawless bloody book of forged rebellion with a seal divine and consecrate commotion's bitter edge? My brother general, the commonwealth, to brother born on household cruelty, I make my quarrel in particular. There is no need of any such redress, or if there were, it not belongs to you. Why not to him in part, and to us all that feel the bruises of the days before, and suffer the condition of these times to lay a heavy and unequal hand upon our honors? Oh, my good Lord Mowbray, construe the times to their necessities, and you shall say indeed it is the time and not the king that doth you injuries. Yet for your part, it not appears to me, either from the king or in the present time, that you should have an inch of any ground to build a grief on. Were you not restored to all the Duke of Norfolk's seniors, Signories, your noble and right well-remembered fathers? What thing in honor had my father lost that need to be revived and breathed in me? The king that loved him as the state stood him was force per force compelled to banish him. And then that Harry Bolingbroke and he being mounted and both roused in their seats, their neighing coursers daring of the spur, their armed staves in charge, their beavers down, their eyes of fire and sparking through sights of steel and the loud trumpet bowing them together. Then, then when there was nothing could have stayed my father from the breast of Bolingbroke. Oh, and the king did throw his warder down. His own life hung upon the staff. He threw, then threw he down himself all their lives. That, by indictment, by dint of sword, have since miscarried under Bolingbroke. You speak, Lord Mowbray, now you know not what. The Earl of Hereford was reputed then in England the most valiant gentleman. Who knows on whom fortune would have then smiled? But if your father had been victor there, he never had borne into out 
of Coventry? For all the country in a general voice cried hate upon him, and all their prayers and loves were set on Herford, whom they doted on and blessed and graced indeed more than the king. But this is mere digression from my purpose. Here come I from our princely general to know your griefs, to tell you from his grace that he will, he will give you audience, and wherein it shall appear that your demands are just. You shall enjoy them, everything set off, that might so much as think you enemies. But he hath forced us to compel this offer, and it proceeds from policy, not love. Mowbray, you ween to take it so. This offer comes from mercy, not from fear. <laughs> For lo, within a ken our enemy lies, upon mine honor, all too confident to give admittance to a thought of fear. Our battle is more full of names than yours. Our men are more perfect in the use of arms. Our armor, all as strong, our cause, the best. Then reason will our heart should be as good Say you not then our offer is compelled. Well, by my will, we shall admit no parley. That argues but the shame of your offense. A rotten case abides not handling. Hath the Prince John a full commission, in very ample virtue of his father, to hear and absolutely to determine of what conditions we shall stand upon? That is intended in the general's name. <laughs> I muse you make so light, slight a question. Then take, my lord of Westmoreland, this schedule, for this contains our general grievances. Each several article herein redressed, all members of our cause, both here and hence, that are insinuate to this action, acquitted by a true substantial form and present execution of our wills to us and to our purposes confined, we come within our awful banks again and knit our powers to the arm of peace. This will I show the general. Please you, lords, in sight of both our battles we may meet, and either end in peace, which God so frame, or to the place of difference, call the swords which must decide it. My lord, we will do so. There's a thing within my bosom tells me that no conditions of our peace can stand. Fear you not that. If we can make our peace upon such large terms and so absolute as our conditions shall, shall consist upon, our peace shall stand as firm as rocky mountains. Yea, but our valuation shall be such that every slight and false derived cause, yea, every idle, nice, and wanton reason shall to the king taste of this action. That were our royal faith smartered in love, we should be winnowed with so rough a wind that even our corn shall be seen as light as chaff, as good from bad find no partition. No, no, my lord. Note this. The king is weary of dainty and such picking grievances. 
for he hath found to end one doubt by death, revives two greater in the heirs of life, and therefore will he wipe his tables clean, and keep no tell-tale to his memory, that may repeat, and history his loss to new remembrance. For full well he knows he cannot so precisely weed this land, as his misdoubts present occasion. His foes are so enrooted with his friends, that, plucking to unfix an enemy, he doth unfasten so, and shakes a friend. So that this land, like an offensive wife that hath enraged him on to other strokes, as he is striking, holds his infant up and hangs resolved correction in the arm that was upreared to execution. Besides, the king hath wasted all his rods on late offenders, that he not thou lack the very instruments of chastisement, so that his power like to a fangless lion, may offer but not hold. Tis very true, and therefore be assured, my good Lord Marshal, if we do now make our atonement well, our peace will, like a broken limb united, grow stronger for the breaking. Be it so. There is returned my Lord of, West my Lord of Westmoreland. Re-enter Westmoreland. The princess here, at hand, pleaseth your lordship to meet his grace, just distance between our armies. Your grace of York, in God's name, then, set forward. Before, and greet his grace. My lord, we come. Exit. Scene two, another part of the forest. Enter from one side, Mowbray attended. Afterwards, the Archbishop of York, Hastings, and others. From the other side, Prince John of Lancaster and Westmoreland, Officers and others with them. You are all well encountered here, my cousin Mowbray. Good day to you, gentle Lord Archbishop, and so to you, Lord Hastings, and to all. My Lord of York, it better showed with you when that your flock assembled by the bell encircled you to hear with reverence your exposition on the holy text, the now to see you here, an iron man cheering a rout of rebels with your drum, turning the word to sword and life to death. That man that sits within a monarch's heart and ripens in the sunshine of his favor, would he abuse the countenance of the king? Alack, what mischiefs might he set a brooch in shadows of such greatness? With you, Lord Bishop, it is even so. Who hath not heard it spoken, how deep you were within the books of God to us the speaker in his parliament, to us the imagined voice of God himself, the very opener and intelligencer between the grace, the sanctities of heaven and our dull workings. Oh, who shall believe but you misuse the reverence of your place? Employ the countenance and grace of heaven as a false favorite doth his prince's name, in deeds dishonorable. You have taken up under the counterfeited zeal of God, the subjects of his substitute, my father, and both against the heaven, the peace of heaven and him, have here up swarmed them. Good, my lord of Lancaster, I am not here against your father's peace. But, as I told my lord of Westmoreland, the time misordered doth, in common sense, crowd us and crush us to this monstrous form, to hold our safety up. I sent your grace the parcels and particulars of our grief, the which hath been with scorn shoved from the court. 
whereon this hydra son of war is born, whose dangerous eyes may well be charmed asleep with grant of our most just and right desires, and true obedience of this madness cured, stoop tamely to the foot of majesty. If not, we ready are to try our fortunes to the last man. And though we here fall down, we have supplies to second our attempt. If they miscarry, theirs shall second them, and so success of mischief shall be born, and so heirs from heirs shall hold this quarrel up whiles England shall have generation. You are too shallow, Hastings, much too shallow to sound the bottom of the aftertimes. Pleaseth your grace to answer them directly, how far forth you do like their articles. I like them all, and do allow them well, and swear here by the honor of my blood my father's purposes have been mistook, and some about him have too lavishly wrested his meaning and authority. My lord, these griefs shall be with speed redressed. Upon my soul they shall. If this may please you, discharge your powers unto their several counties, as we will ours. And here between the armies, let's drink together friendly and embrace, that all their eyes may bear those tokens home of our restored love and enmity. I take your princely word for these redresses. I give it you, and will maintain my word. And thereupon I drink unto your grace. Go, Captain, and deliver to the army this news of peace. Let them have pay and part. I know it will well please them. Hi, thee, Captain. Exit, officer. To you, my noble lord of Westmoreland. I pledge your grace. And if you knew what pains I have bestowed to breed this present peace, you would drink freely. But my love to ye shall show itself more openly hereafter. I do not doubt you. I am glad of it. Health to you, my lord, and gentle cousin, Mowbray. You wish me health in a very happy season, for I am on the sudden something uh, ill. Against ill chances, men are ever merry, but heaviness foreruns the good event. Therefore be merry, cuz, since sudden sorrow serves to say thus, some good thing comes tomorrow. Believe me, I am passing light in spirit. So much the worse if your own rule be true. Shouts within! The word of peace is rendered. Hark, how they shout. This had been cheerful after victory. A peace is of the nature of a conquest, for then both parties nobly are subdued, and neither party loser. Go, my lord, and let our army be discharged too. Exit Westmoreland. And, good my lord, so please you, let our trains march by us, that we may peruse the men we should have coped with all. Go, good Lord Hastings, and ere they, be, ere they be dismissed, let them march by. Exit Hastings. I trust, lords, we shall lie tonight together. Re-enter Westmoreland. Now, cousin, wherefore stands our army still? The leaders, having charged from you to stand, will not go off until they hear you speak. They know their duties. Re-enter Hastings. My lord, 
Our army is dispersed already. Like youthful steers unyoked, they take their course east, west, north, south, or like a school broke up, each hurries toward his home and supporting place. Good tidings, my lord Hastings. For the witch I do arrest thee, traitor of high treason, and you, lord archbishop, and you, lord Mowbray, of capital treason, I attach you both. Is this proceeding just and honorable? Is your assembly so? Will you thus break your faith? I pawned thee none. I promised you redress of these same grievances whereof you did complain, which by mine honor I will perform with a most Christian care. But for you, rebels, look to taste the dew, meat for rebellion and such acts as yours. Most shallowly did you these arms commence, fondly brought here and foolishly sent hence, Strike up our drums, pursue the scattered stray. God, and not we, hath safely fought today. Some guard these traitors to the block of death, treason's true bed, and yield her up of breath. Exunt. Scene three, another part of the forest. Alarum, excursions, enter Falstaff and Colville, meeting. What's your name, sir? Of what condition are you, and of what place, I pray? I am a knight, sir. And my name is Colville of the Dale. Well then, Colville is your name, a knight is your degree, and your place the Dale. Colville shall still be your name, a traitor, your degree, and the dungeon your place, a place deep enough. So shall you be still Colville of the Dale. Are you not Sir John Falstaff? As good a man as he, sir, whoever I am. Do ye yield, sir, or shall I sweat for you? If I do sweat... They are the drops of thy lovers, and they weep for thy death. Therefore, rouse up fear and trembling, and do observance to my mercy. I think you are, Sir John Falstaff, and in that thought, yield me. I have a whole school of tongues in this belly of mine, and not a tongue of them all speaks any other word but my name. I had but a belly of any indifference. I was simply the most active fellow in Europe. My womb... My womb, my womb undoes me. Here comes our general. Enter Prince John of Lancaster with Morland Blunt and others. The heat is past. Follow no further now. Call in the powers, good cousin Westmoreland. Exit Westmoreland. Now Falstaff, where have you been all this while? When everything is ended, then you come. These tardy tricks of yours will on my life one time or other break some gallows back. I would be sorry, my lord, but it should be thus. I never yet knew the rebuke in check was the reward of valor. Do you think me a swallow, an arrow, or a bullet? Have I, in my poor and old motion, the expedition of thought? I have speeded hither with the very extremest edge of possibility. I have foundered nine score and odd posts, and here... Travel tainted as I am, have in my pure and immaculate valor taken Sir John Colville of uh, uh, the, the, the Dale, a most furious knight, a valorous enemy. But what of it? He saw me and yielded, that I may justly say with the uh, hook-nosed fellow of Rome, I came, I saw, and overcame was more of his courtesy than you were deserving. I know not. Here he is. 
and here I yield him. And beseech your grace, let it be booked with the rest of this day's deeds, or by the Lord, I will have it in a particular ballad else with mine own picture on top of it, Colville kissing my foot. To the which course, if I be enforced, if you do not all show, show light guilt twopences to me, and I, in the clear sky of fame, or shine you as much as the full moon doth the cinders of the element, which show like pin's heads to her, believe not the word of the noble. Therefore, let me have right. Let dessert mount. Thine's too heavy to mount. Let it shine, then. Thine's too thick to shine. Uh, let it do something, my good lord, that may do me good, and call it what you will. Is thy name Colville? It is, my lord. A famous rebel art thou, Colville. And a famous true subject took him. I am, my lord. But as my betters are that led me hither, had they been ruled by me, you should have won them dearer than you have. I know not how they sold themselves, but thou, like a kind fellow, gavest away, gavest thyself away gratis, and I thank thee for thee. Re-enter Westmoreland. Now have you left pursuit? Retreat is made, and execution stayed. Send Colville with his confederates to York to present execution. Blunt, lead him hence, and you, see, and see you guard him sure. Exempt Blunt and others with Colville. And now dispatch we toward the courts, my lord. I hear the king, my father, is sore sick. Our news shall go before us to his majesty, which, cousin, you shall bear to comfort him. And we, with sober speed, shall follow you. My lord, I beseech you, give me leave to go through Gloucestershire. And when you come to court, stand, my good lord, pray in your report. Fare you well, Falstaff. I, in my condition, shall speak, shall better speak of you than you deserve. In Talbot Falstaff. I would you had but the wit, twere better than your dukedom. Good faith. This same young, sober blooded boy doth not love me, nor a man cannot make him laugh. That's no marvel, he drinks no wine. There's never none of these demure boys come to any proof, for thin drink doth so overcool their blood and making many fish meals that they fall into a kind of male uh, green sickness and then when they marry they get wenches they are generally fools and cowards which some of us should be too but for uh inflammation a good sheriff's sack hath a twofold operation in it it ascends me into the brain dries me there all the foolish dull and Curdy vapors which environ it, it makes it apprehensive, quick, forgetive, full of nimble, fiery, and delectable shapes, which delivered order the voice, the tongue, which is the birth, becomes excellent wit. The second property of your excellent sheriff is the warming of the blood, which, before cold and settled, left the liver white and pale, which is the badge of pusillanimity and cowardice, but. <laughs> The sheriff warms it and makes it coarse from the inward to the uh, parts extreme. It illumineth the face, which as a beacon gives warning to all the rest of this little kingdom, mad to arm. Then to the vital commoners and the inland petty spirits muster me all to their captain, the heart, who, great and puffed up with this retinue, doth any deed of courage. And this valor comes of sherry's. 
so that skill in the weapon is nothing without sack, for that sets it to work. And learning a mere hoard of gold kept by a devil till sack commences it and sets it in act and use. Here off comes it that Prince Harry is valiant. For the cold blood he did naturally inherit of his father, he hath, like lean, sterile, and bare land, manured, husbanded and tilled with excellent endeavor of drinking good and good store of fertile sherris. Then he has become very hot and valiant. If I had a thousand sons, the first humane principle I would teach them should be to forswear thin potations and addict themselves to sack. Enter Bardolph. How now, Bardolph? The army is discharged, all and gone. Let them go. All through Gloucestershire, and there I will visit Master Robert Shallow, Esquire. I have him already tempering between my finger and my thumb, and shortly I will seal with him. Come away. Exempt. Scene four, Westminster, the Jerusalem chamber. Enter King Henry the Fourth, the Princes Thomas of Clarence and Humphrey of Gloucester, Warwick, and others. Now, lords. If God doth give successful end to this debate that bleedeth at our doors, we will our youth lead on to higher fields, and draw no swords but what are sanctified. Our navy is addressed, our power collected, our substitutes in absence well invested, and everything lies level to our wish. (laughs) Only we want a little personal strength, and pause us till these rebels, now afoot, come underneath the yoke of government. Both which we doubt not, but your majesty shall shall soon enjoy. Humphrey, my son of Gloucester, where is the prince, your brother? I think he's gone to hunt, my lord, at Windsor. And how accompanied? I do not know, my lord. Is not your brother, his brother, Thomas of Clarence, with him? No, my good lord, he is in presence here. What would, my lord and father? Uh, Nothing but well to thee, Thomas of Clarence. How chance thou art not with the prince thy brother? He loves thee, and thou dost neglect him, Thomas. Thou hast a better place in his affection than all thy brother's. Cherish it, my boy, and noble offices thou mayest effect of mediation after I am dead. Between his greatness and thy other brethren, therefore omit him not, blunt not his love, nor lose the good advantage of his grace by seeming cold or careless of his will, for he is gracious if he be observed." He hath a tear for pity, and a hand as open as day for melting charity. Yet, notwithstanding, being incensed, he's flint, as humorous as winter, and as sudden as flaws congealed in the spring of day. His temper, therefore, must be well observed. Chide him for his faults, and do it reverently. When thou perceive his blood inclined to mirth, but but being moody, give him line and scope 
till that his passions, like a whale on ground, confound themselves with working. Learn this, Thomas, and thou shalt prove a shelter to thy friends, a hoop of gold to bind thy brothers in, but the united vessel of their blood, mingled with venom of suggestion, has force per force, the age will pour it in, shall never leak, though it do work as strong as aconitum or rash gunpowder. I shall observe him with all care and love. Why art thou not at Windsor with him, Thomas? He is not there today. He dines at London. How accompanying? Canst thou tell that? With coins and his other continual followers. Most subject is the fattest soil to weeds. He, the noble image of my youth, is overspread with them. Therefore my grief stretches itself beyond the hour of death. The blood weeps from my heart when I do shape in forms imaginary the unguided days and rotten times that shall look upon when I am sleeping with my ancestors. For when his headstrong riot hath no curb, when rage and hot blood are his counselors, when means and lavish manners meet together, oh, what with with what wing shall his affections fly towards fronting peril and opposed decay? My gracious lord, you look beyond him quite. The prince but studies his companions like a strange tongue, wherein to gain the language, tis needful that the most immodest word be looked upon and learned, which, once attained, your highness knows comes to no further use but to be known and hated. So like gross terms, the prince will in the perfectness of time, cast off his followers, and their memory shall, as a pattern or a measure, live, by which his grace must meet the lives of others, turning past evils to advantages. Tis seldom, when the bee doth leave her comb in the dead carrion. Enter Westmoreland. Who's here? Westmoreland? Elf. To my sovereign and new happiness added to that that I am to deliver. Prince John, your son, doth kiss your grace's hand. Mowbray, the bishop's group, Hastings, and all are brought to the correction of your law. There is not now a rebel sword unsheathed, but peace puts forth her olive everywhere. The manner how this action hath been borne here at more leisure may your highness read with every course in his particular. Oh, Westmoreland, thou art a summer bird, whichever in the haunch of winter sings, the lifting up of day. Enter Harcourt. Look, here's more news. Uh, From enemies heaven, keep your majesty, and when they stand against you, may they fall as those that I come to tell you of. The Earl Northumberland and the Lord Bardolph, with a great power of English and of Scots, are by the sheriff of Yorkshire overthrown. The manner and true order of the fight this packet, please you, contains at large. And wherefore should these good news make me sick? 
Her fortune never come with both hands full, but write her fair words still in foulest letters. She either gives stomach and no food, such are the poor in health, or else a feast and takes away the stomach. Such are the rich that have abundance enjoy, and enjoy it not. I should rejoice now at this happy news. <sighs> and now my sight fails and my brain is giddy. Oh, me, come near me. Now I am much ill. <sighs> Comfort, your majesty. Oh, my royal father. My sovereign lord, cheer up yourself. Look up. Be patient, princes. You do know these fits are with his highness very ordinary. Stand from him. Give him air. He'll straight be well. No, no, he cannot long hold out these pains. The incessant care and labor of his mind have brought the muir that should confine in it so thin that life looks through and will break out. The people fear me. For they do observe unfathered airs and loathly births of nature. The seasons change their manners, as the year had found some months asleep and leaped them o'er. The, the river hath thrice flowed, no ebb between. And the old folk times Duncan Chronicles say it did so a little time before that our great grandsire, Edward, sicked and felt and died. Speak lower, princes, for the king recovers. This apoplexy will certain be his end. I pray you, take me up and bear me hence into some other chamber. Softly, pray. Scene five, another chamber. King Henry the Fourth lying on a bed. Clarence, Gloucester, Warwick, and others in attendance. Let there be no other noise made, my gentle friends unless some dull and favorable hand would whisper music to my weary spirit. Call for the music in the other room. Set me the crown upon my pillow here. His eye is hollow, and he changes much. Noise, less noise. Enter Prince Henry. Who saw the Duke of Clarence? I am here, brother. Full of heaviness. How now, rain within doors and none abroad. How doth the king? Exceeding ill. Heard he the good news yet? Tell it him. He altered much upon the hearing it. He be sick with joy, he'll recover without physic. Uh, not so much noise, my lords. Sweet prince, speak low. The king your father is disposed to sleep. Let us withdraw into the other room. Will it please your grace to go along with us? No, I will sit and watch here by the king. Thanks in all but Prince Henry. Why doth the crown lie there upon his pillow, being so troublesome a bedfellow? Oh, polished perturbation. Golden care that keeps the ports of slumber open wide to many a watchful night. Sleep with it now. 
yet not so sound and half so deeply sweet as he whose brow with homely big and bound snores out the watch of night. Oh, majesty, when thou dost pinch thy bearer, thou dost sit like a rich armor worn in the heat of day that scalds with safety. By his gates of breath there lies a downy feather which stirs not. Did he suspire that light and weightless down perforce must move? My gracious lord, my father. The sleep is sound indeed. This is a sleep that from his golden wriggle hath divorced so many English kings. Thy Jew from me is tears and heavy sorrows of the blood, which nature, love, and filial tenderness shall, O oh dear father, pay thee plenteously. My due from thee is this imperial crown, which, as immediate as thy place and blood, derives itself to me. Lo, here it sits, which God shall guard and put the world's whole strength into one giant arm. It shall not force this lineal honor from me. This from thee will I to mine leave, as tis left to me. Exit. Ulrich! Gloucester! Clarence! Re-enter Warwick, Gloucester, Clarence, and the rest. Doth the king call? What would your majesty? How fares your grace? Why did you leave me here alone, my lords? We left the prince my brother here, my liege, who undertook to sit and watch by you. The prince of Wales? Where is he? Let me see him. He is not here. This door is open. He has gone this way. He came not through the chamber where we stayed. Where is the crown? Who took it from my pillow? When we withdrew, my liege, we left it here. The prince hath tainted hence. Go seek him out. Is he so hasty that he does suppose my sleep my death? Find him, my lord of Warwick. Chide him hither. Exit Warwick. This part of his conjoins with my disease and helps to mine end. It helps to, to end me. See, sons, what things you are. How quickly nature falls into revolt when gold becomes her object. For this, the foolish, over-careful fathers have broke their sleep with thoughts, their brains with care, their bones with industry. For this they have engrossed and piled up the cankered heaps of strange achieved gold. For this have been thoughtful to invest their sons with arts and martial exercises. When like the bee, culling from every flower the virtuous sweets our thighs packed with wax. 
our mouths was honey. We bring it to the hives, and like the bees, are murdered for our pains. This bitter taste yield his engrossments to the ending father. Re-enter Warwick. Now, where is he that will not stay so long till his friend sickness hath determined me? My lord, I found the prince in the next room, washing with kindly tears his gentle cheeks, with such a deep demeanor in great sorrow that tyranny which never quaffed but blood would by beholding him have washed his knife with gentle eye drops. He is coming hither. But wherefore did he take away the crown? Re-enter Prince Henry. Lo, where he comes. Come hither to me, Harry. Depart the chamber. Leave us here alone. Vincent Warwick and the rest. I never thought to hear you speak again. Thy wish was father, Harry, to that thought. I stay too long by thee. I weary thee. Dost thou so hunger for mine empty chair that thou wilt needs invest thee with my honors before thy hour be ripe? Oh, foolish youth. Thou seekest the greatness that will o'erwhelm thee. Stay but a little, for my cloud of dignity is held from falling with so weak a wind that it will quickly drop. My day is dim. Thou hast stolen that, which after some hours were thine without offense, and at my death thou hast sealed up my expectation. Thy life did manifest, thou lovest me not, and thou wilt have me die assured of it. Thou hidest a thousand daggers in thy thoughts, which thou hast whetted on thy stony heart to stab at half an hour of my life. What? Canst thou not forbear me half an hour? Then get thee gone and dig my grave thyself, and bid the merry bells ring to thine ear, that thou art crowned, not that I am dead. Let all the tears that shall bedew my hearse be drops of balm to sanctify thy head. Only compound me with forgotten dust. Give that which gave thee life unto the worms. Pluck down my officers. Break my decrees. For now a time is come to mock it form. Harry the fifth is crowned up. Vanity. Down, royal state, all you sage counselors hence. And to the English court assemble now from every region, apes of idleness. Now, neighbor confines, purge you of your scum. Have you a ruffian 
that will swear, drink, dance, revel the night, rob, murder, and commit the oldest sins, the newest kind of ways. Be happy. He will trouble you no more. England shall double gild his treble guilt. England shall give him office. Honor, might, for the fifth Harry from curbed license plucks the muzzle of restraint, and the old dog shall flesh his tooth on every innocent. My poor kingdom, sick with civil blows, when that my care could not withhold thy riots, What wilt thou do when riot is thy care? Oh, thou wilt be a wilderness again, peopled with wolves, thy old inhabitants. Oh, pardon me, my liege. But for my tears, the moist impediments unto my speech, I had forestalled this dear and deep rebuke ere you with grief had spoke, and I had heard the course of it so far. There is your crown. And he that wears the crown immortally long guarded yours. If I affected more than as your honor and as your renown, let me no more from this obedience rise, which my most inward, true, and duteous spirit teacheth. This prostrate and exterior bending. God witness with me when i here came in and found no course of breath within your majesty how cold it struck my heart if i do feign oh let me in my present wildness die and never live to show the incredulous world the noble change that i have purposed Coming to look on you, thinking you dead and dead almost, my liege, to think you were. I spake unto this crown as having sense, and thus upbraided it. The care on thee depending hath fed upon the body of my father. Therefore, Thou best of gold art worst of gold. Other less fine in carrot is more precious. Preserving life in medicine potable. But thou most fine, most honored, most renowned. Hast eat thy bearer up. Thus my most royal liege. Accusing it. I put it on my head to try with it as with an enemy that had before my face murdered my father, the quarrel of a true inheritor. But if it did infect my blood with joy or swell my thoughts to any strain of pride, 
if any rebel or vain spirit of mine did with the least affection of a welcome give entertainment to the might of it, let God forever keep it from my head and make me as the poorest vassal is that doth with awe and terror kneel to it. Oh, my son. God, put it in thy mind to take it hence, that thou mightst win the more thy father's love, pleading so wisely in excuse of it. Come hither, Harry. Sit thou by my bed. And here, I think, the very latest counsel that ever I shall breathe. God knows, my son, by what bypaths and indirect crooked ways I met this crown, and I myself know well how troublesome it sat upon my head. To thee it shall descend with bitter quiet, better opinion, better confirmation, for all the soil of the achievement goes with me into the earth. It seemed in me but as an honor snatched with boisterous hand, and I had many living to upbraid my gain of it by their assistances, which daily grew to quarrel and to bloodshed, wounding supposed peace. All these bold fears thou seest with peril, I have answered, for all my reign hath been but a scene acting that argument. And now my death changes the mode. For what in me was purchased falls upon thee in a more fairer sort. So thou the garland wears successively. Yet thou stand'st more sure than I could do. Thou art not firm enough since griefs are green. And all my friends, which thou must make thy friends, have but their stings and teeth newly ta'en out, by whose fell-working I was first advanced, and by whose power I well might lodge a fear to be again displaced, which to avoid I cut them off, and had a purpose now to lead out many to the Holy Land. Lest rest and lying might make them look too near unto my state. Therefore, my Harry, be it thy course to busy, giddy minds with foreign quarrels. That action, hence borne out, may waste the memory of the former days. More would I, but my lungs are wasted, so that strength of speech is utterly denied me. How I came by the crown, oh, oh God forgive. And grant it may with thee 
in true peace live. My gracious liege, you won it, wore it, kept it, gave it me. In plain and right must my possession be, which I with more than with a common pain against all the world will rightfully maintain. Enter Lord John of Lancaster. Look, look, here comes my John of Lancaster. Health, peace, and happiness to my royal father. Thou bringst me happiness and peace, Sir John. But health, alack, with youthful wings is flown from this bare withered trunk of, upon thy sight. My worldly business makes a period. Where is my Lord of Warwick? My Lord of Warwick? Enter Warwick and others. Doth any name particular belong into the lodging where I first did swoon? It is called Jerusalem, my noble Lord. Lord be to God. Even there, my life must end. It hath been prophesied to me many years. I should not die but in Jerusalem. <laughs> Vainly, <laughs> I suppose to be holy land. <laughs> but bear me to that chamber. There I'll lie in that Jerusalem shall harry die exempt act five scene one gloucestershire shallow's house enter shallow falstaff bardolph and page by cock and pie sir you shall not away tonight what davy i say you must excuse me master robert shallow i will not excuse you you shall not be excused. Excuses shall not be admitted. There is no excuse shall serve. You shall not be excused. Why, Davy? Enter Davy. Yes, sir. Ah, Davy, 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 Davy. Uh, let me see, Davy. Let me see, Davy. Let me see. Yay, Mary. William Cook. Bid him come hither. Sir John, you will not be excused. Uh, Mary, sir, thus, those precepts cannot be served. And again, sir, shall we sow the headland with wheat? With wet, red wheat, Davy. But for William Cook, are, are there no young pigeons? Yes, sir. Here is now the smith's note for shoeing and plow irons. Let it be cast and paid. Sir John, you will not be excused. Now, sir, a new link to the bucket must need be had. And, sir, do you mean to stop any of William's wages about the sack he lost the other day at Inkley Fair? I shall answer for it. Some pigeons, Davy, a couple of short-legged hens, a joint of mutton, and, and, uh, uh, and any pretty little uh, tiny kickshaws. Tell William Cook. Doth the man of war stay all night, sir? Yay, Davy. I will use him well. A friend in the court is better than a penny in purse. Use his men well, Davy, for they are errant knaves and will backbite. No worse than they are backbitten, sir, for they have marvelous foul linen. 
Mm. Well conceded, Davy. About thy business, Davy. I beseech you, sir, to countenance with William Visor of Wancott against Clements Perks of the Hill. There is many complaints, Davy, against that visor. That visor is an errant knave on my knowledge. I grant your worship that he is a knave, sir, mm. but yet, God forbid, sir, but a knave should have some countenance at his friend's request. An honest man, sir, is able to speak for himself when a knave is not. I have served your worship truly, sir, for eight years. And if I cannot once or twice in a quarter bear out a knave against an honest man, I have but a little credit with your worship. The knave is mine honest friend, sir. Therefore, I beseech your worship, let him be countenanced. Go to, I say, he shall have no wrong. Look about, Davy. Exit Davy. Oh, where, where are you? Sir John, Sir John, come, 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 come. Off with your boots. Uh, give me your hand, Master Bardolph. I am glad to see your worship. I thank thee with all my heart. Kind Master Bardolph, and welcome, my tall fellow. Come, Sir John. Uh, I'll follow you, uh, good Master Robert Shallow. Exit Shallow. Bardolph, look to our horses. Exit Bardolph and Page. If I were sawed into quantities, I should make four dozen of such bearded hermit staves as Master Shallow. It is a wonderful thing to see the semblable coherence of his men's spirits and his. There, they, by observing of him, do bear themselves like foolish justices. He, by conversing with them, is turned into a justice-like serving man. Their spirits are so married in conjunction with the participation of society that they flock together in consent like so many wild geese. If I had a suit to Master Shallow, I would humor his men with the imputation of being near their master. If to his men, I would curry with Master Shallow that no man could better command his servants. It is certain that either wise, bearing or ignorant carriage is caught as men take diseases one of another. Therefore, let men take heed of their company. I will devise matter enough out of the shallow to keep Prince Harry in continual laughter the wearing out of six fashions, which is uh, four terms or two actions, and he shall laugh without intervallums. Oh, is much that a lie with a slight oath and a jest with a sad brow will do for a fellow that never had the ache in his shoulders. <laughs> you shall see him laugh till his face be like a wet cloak I'll laid up. Sir John! I come, Master Shallow. I come, Master Shallow. Exit. Scene two, Westminster, the palace, enter Warwick and Lord Chief Justice meeting. How now, my Lord Chief Justice? Whither away? Out of the king. Exceedingly well, his cares are now all ended. I hope not dead. He's walked the way of nature, and to our purposes he lives no more. I would his majesty had called me with him. The service that I truly did, his life, hath left me open to all inquiries. Indeed, I think the young king loves you not. I know he doth not, and do arm myself to welcome the condition of the time which cannot look more hideously upon me than I have drawn in my fancy. And Lancaster, Clarence, Gloucester, Westmoreland, and others. 
here come the heavy issue of dead Harry. Oh, that the living Harry had the temper of him, the worst of these three gentlemen. How many nobles then should there should hold their places that must strike sail to spirits of vile sort? Oh God, I fear all will be overturned. Good morrow, cousin Warwick. Good morrow. Good morrow, cousin. Good morrow, cousin. We meet like men that had forgot to speak. We do remember, but our argument is all too heavy to admit much talk. Well, peace be with him that hath made us heavy. Peace be with us, lest we be heavier. Oh, good my lord, you have lost a friend indeed. And I dare swear you borrow not that face of seeming sorrow. It is sure your own. Though no man be assured what grace to find, you stand in coldest expectation. I am the sorrier, would twere otherwise. Well, you must now speak Sir John Falstaff fair which swims against your string of quality. Sweet princes, what I did, I did in honor, led by the impartial conduct of my soul, and shall never see that I will beg ragged and forestalled remission in truth, if truth and upright innocency fail me, I'll to the king my master that is dead, and tell him who hath sent me after him. Here comes the prince. Enter King Henry V, attended. Good morrow. And God save your majesty. This new and gorgeous garment, majesties, it's not so easy on me as you think. Brothers, you mix your sadness with some fear. This is the English, not the Turkish court. Not Amarath and Amarath succeeds, but Harry, Harry. Yet be sad, good brothers, for by my faith it very well becomes you. Sorrow so royally in you appears that I will deeply put the fashion on and wear it in my heart. Why then be sad? But entertain no more of it, good brothers, than a joint burden laid upon us all. For me, by heaven, I bid you be assured I'll be your father and your brother too. Let me but bear your love, I'll bear your cares. Yet weep that Harry's dead, and so will I. But Harry lives, it shall convert those tears by number into hours of happiness. We hope no, we other, hope from no other from your majesty. We hope no other from your majesty. You all look strangely on me. And you most, you are, I think, assured I love you not. I am assured, if I be measured rightly, your majesty hath no just cause to hate me. No. How might a prince of my great hopes forget so great indignities you laid upon me? What rate? rebuke, and roughly send to prison the immediate heir of England. <laughs> Was this easy? May this be washed in Lethe and forgotten. I then did use the person of your father, 
The image of his power lay then in me and in the administration of his law, whilst I was busy for the commonwealth, your highness pleased to forget my place, the majesty and power of law and justice, the image of the king whom I presented, and struck me in the very seat of judgment, whereon, as an offender to your father, I gave bold way to my authority and did commit you. If the deed were ill, be you contented, wearing now the garland, to have a son set your decrees at naught, to pluck down justice from your awful bench, to trip the course of law and blunt the sword that guards the peace and safety of your person. Nay, more, to spurn at your most royal image and mock your workings in a second body, question your royal thoughts, make the case yours, be now the father and propose a son Hear your own dignity so much profaned. See your most dreadful law so loosely slighted. Behold yourself so by a son disdained. And then imagine me taking your part and in your power soft silencing your son. And this cold considerance sentence me. And as you are a king, speak in your state what I have done that misbecame my place, my person, or my liege's sovereignty. You are right, Justice. And you weigh this well. Therefore, still bear the balance and the sword. And I do wish your honors may increase till you do live to see a son of mine offend you and obey you as I did. So shall I live to speak my father's words. Happy am I that I have a man so bold that dares do justice on my proper son and not less happy having such a son that would deliver up his greatness so into the hands of justice. You did commit me, for which I do commit into your hand the unstained sword that you have used to bear. With this remembrance that you use the same with the like bold, just and impartial spirit as you have done against me. There is my hand. You shall be as a father to my youth. My voice shall sound as you do prompt mine ear and I will stoop and humble my intents to your well-practiced wise directions. And, princes all, believe me, I beseech you. My father is gone wild into his grave, for in his tomb lie my affections. And with his spirit, sadly, I survive to mock the expectation of the world, to frustrate prophecies, and to raise out rotten opinion who hath writ me down after my seeming. The tide of blood in me hath proudly flowed in vanity till now. Now doth it turn and ebb back to the sea, where it shall mingle with the state of floods and flow henceforth in formal majesty. Now call we our high court of parliament, and let us choose such limbs of noble counsel that the great body of our state may go in equal rank with the best governed nation that war or peace, or both at once, 
may be as things acquainted and familiar to us, in which you, Father, shall have foremost hand. Our coronation done, we will excite. As I before remembered all our state, and God consigning to my good intents, no prince no, nor peer shall have just cause to say, God shorten Harry's happy life one day. Exempt. Scene three, Gloucestershire. Uh, Shallows Orchard, enter Falstaff, Shallow, Silence, Davy, Bardolph, and the Page. Now you shall see my orchard where, in an arbor, we will eat a last year's pippin of my own graffing with a dish of caraways and so forth. Come, Cousin Silence, and then to bed. Or God, you have your goodly dwelling and a rich. Baron. Baron, Baron, beggars all, beggars all. Sir John, Mary, good air, spread. Davy, Davy, spread. Well said, Davy. <laughs> Davy serves you for good uses. He is your serving man and your husband. <laughs> a good varlet, a good varlet, a very good varlet, Sir John. Ooh, by the mass, I have drunk too much sack at supper. <laughs> a good varlet. Now, sit down, sit down. Come, cousin. Ah, Sarah, quotha, we shall do nothing but eat and make good cheer. And praise God for the merry year when flesh is cheap and females dear and lusty lads roam here and there so merrily and among so merrily. There's a merry heart. Good Master Silence, I'll give you a health for that anon. Give Master Bardolph some wine, Davy. Sweet sir, sit. I'll be with you anon. Uh, most sweet sir, sit. Master Page, good Master Page, sit. Profase, uh, what you want in meat will have in drink, but you must bear the heart's all. Be merry, Master Bardolph, and my little soldier there, be merry. Be merry, be merry, my wife has all. For women are shrews, both short and tall. Tis merry in hall when beards wag all, and merry shrove tide be merry, be merry. I did not think Master Silence had been a man of this metal. Who, I? I have been merry twice and once there now. <laughs> we enter Davy. There's a dish of leather coats for you. Davy! Uh, your worship, I'll be with you straight. Uh, a cup of wine, sir? A cup of wine that's brisk and fine, and drink unto the lemon mine, and merry heart lives long up. Well said, Master Silence. And we shall be merry, now comes in the sweet of night. Health and long life to you, Master Silence. Fill the cup and let it come. I'll pledge you a mile to the bottom. <laughs> Honest Bardolph, welcome. If thou wantest anything and will not call, beshrew thy heart. Welcome, my, 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 my little tiny thief. And welcome indeed too. I'll drink to Master Bardolph and to all the cavaleros about London. Oh, I hope to see London once ere I die. And I might see you there, Davy. 
<laughs> by the mass. You'll crack a quart together, huh? Will you not, Master Bardolph? Yay, sir, in a pottle pot. Yeah, by God's ligands, I thank thee. <laughs> the knave will stick by thee. I can assure thee that. I will not out. He is true bread. And I'll stick by him, sir. Mm -hmm. Why, there spoke a king. Lack nothing. Be merry. Look who's at the door there. Oh, who knocks? Exit Davy. Oh, why, now you have done me right. Silas takes off a bumper. Do me right and dub me a night some bingo. Is not so? Tis so. Is so. Why then, say an old man can do somewhat. Re-enter Davy. Uh, and it please your worship, there is one pistol come from the court with news. The court? Uh, let him come in. Enter pistol. How now, pistol? Good John, God save you. What wind blew you hither, pistol? Not the ill wind, which blows no man to good. Sweet night, though our, thou art now one of the greatest men in this realm. Our lady, I think I be, but a good man puff of barson. Puff. Puff in thy teeth, most recreant coward base. Sir John, I am thy pistol and thy friend, and helter-skelter have I rode to thee, and tidings do I bring, and lucky joys, and golden times, and happy news of Christ. Uh, I pray thee now, deliver them like a man of this world. A futre of, for the world and worldlings base. I speak of Africa and golden joys. Oh, base Assyrian knight, what is thy news? Let King Cofetua know the truth thereof. And Robin Hood and Scarlet and John. Shall Dunghill curs confront the Helicons? And shall good news be baffled? Then Pistol, lay thy head in fury. Honest gentlemen, I know not your breeding. Why then lament, therefore? Give me pardon, sir. If, sir, you come with news from the court, I take it there's but two ways, either to utter them or to conceal them. I am, sir, under the king in some authority. Under which king? Bessonian. Speak or die. Under King Harry. Harry the fourth or the fifth? The Harry the fourth. A fortre futre for thine office. Sir John, thy tender lambkin now is king. Harry the fifth, the man. I speak the truth. And pistol lies do this. And fig me like the bragging Spaniard. What? Is the old king dead? As nail in door. The things I speak are just. Away, Bardolph. Saddle my horse. But Master Robert Cello, choose what office thou wilt in the land, tis thine. Pistol, I will double charge thee with dignities. Oh, joyful day, I would not take a knighthood for my fortune. But I do bring good news. Carry Master Silence to bed. Uh, Master Shallow, <clears throat> my lord, Shallow, be what thou wilt. I am fortune steward. Get on thy boots. We all ride tonight. Oh, sweet pistol. Away, Bardolph. Exit Bardolph. Come, pistol, utter more to me. And withal devise something to do thyself good. Boot, boot, Master Shallow. I know the young king is sick for me. Let us take any man's horses. The laws of England are at my commandment. Blessed are they that have been my friends. 
<laughs> and woe to my lord chief justice. <laughs> Let vultures vile seize on his lungs also. Where is the life that late I led, say they? Why, here it is. Welcome these pleasant days. <laughs> Scene four, London, a street, enter beetles, dragging in hostess quickly and dull tear sheet. No, thou errant knave, I would go to God that I might die, that I might have thee hanged. Thou hast drawn my shoulder out of joint. The constables have delivered her over to me, and she shall have whipping cheer enough, I warrant her. There hath been a man or two lately killed about her. Not hope you lie. Come on, I'll tell thee what, thou damned trapped visage rascal, and the child of now go with you, Miss Oh, the Lord, that Sir John were come. He would make this bloody day to somebody. But I pray God the fruit of her womb miscarry. If it do, you shall have a dozen of cushions again. You have but eleven now. Come, I charge you both go with me, for the man is dead that you and Pistol beat amongst you. What, you thin man in a censer? I will have you as soundly swinged for this, you blue bottle rogue, you filthy famished correctioner. If you not, if you be not swinged, I'll forswear half girdles. Come, come, you she knight errant, come. Oh God, that right thus should thus overcome might. Well, of sufferance comes ease. Come, you rogue, come, bring me to a justice. Aye, come, you starved bloodhound. Goddamn death, good men, bones. Thou atomy, thou. Come, you thin thing. Come, you rascal. Very well. Except, scene five, a public place near Westminster Abbey. Enter two grooms strewing rushes. More rushes, more rushes. The trumpets have sounded twice. Twill be two o'clock ere they come from the coronation. Dispatch, dispatch. Exunt, enter Falstaff, Shallow, Pistol, Bardolph, and Page. Stand here by me, Master Robert Shallow. I will make the king do you grace. I will leer upon him as he comes by, and do but mark the countenance that he will give me. God bless thy lungs, good knight. Come here, Pistol, stand by me. Oh, if I had had time to have made new liveries, I would have bestowed the thousand pound I borrowed of you. But it is no matter. This poor, doth, this poor show doth better. This doth infer the zeal I had to see him. It doth so. It shows my earnestness of, of affection. It doth so. My devotion. It doth, it doth, it doth. As it were, to ride day and night and not to deliberate, not to remember, not to have patience to shift me. It is best certain. But to stand stained with travel and sweating with a desire to see him thinking of nothing else, putting all affairs else in oblivion as if there were nothing else to be done but to see him. Tis semper idem for obsque hoc nilin est. Tis all in every part. Tis so indeed. My knight, I will inflame thy noble liver and make thee rage. Thy doll and Helen of thy noble thoughts is in base durance and contagious prison. Hailed thither by most mechanical and dirty hand. Rouse up revenge from ebon den with fell electo's snake. For doll is in. He still speaks not but truth. I will deliver her. 
Shelter Ben! And the trumpet sound! There roared the sea and trumpet clangor sounds. Enter King Henry V and his train, the Lord Chief Justice among them. God save thy grace, King Hal. Oh, my royal Hal. The heavens thee guard and keep most royal imp of fame. God save thee, my sweet boy. I know thee not, old man. Fall to thy prayers. How ill white hairs becomes a fool and jester. I have long dreamed of such a kind of man, so surfeit swelled, so old and so profane, but being awaked, I do despise my dream. Make less thy body hence and more thy grace. Leave gormandizing. Know the grave doth gape for thee thrice wider than for other men. Reply not to me with a fool-born jest. Presume not that I am the thing I was. For God doth know, so shall the world perceive that I have turned away from my former self. So will I lose those that kept me company. When thou dost hear I am as I have been, approach me and thou shalt be as thou wast, the tutor and feeder of my riots. Till then, I banish thee on pain of death, as I have done the rest of my misleaders, not to come near our person by 10 miles. For confidence of life, I will allow you that lack of means enforce you not to evil. And as we hear you do reform yourselves, we will, according to your strength and qualities, give you advancement. Be at your charge, my lord, to see performed the tenor of our word. Set on. Exit King Henry V and company. Master Shallow, I, uh, I owe you a thousand pound. Yay. Mary, Sir John, uh, which I beseech you to let me have home with me. That can hardly be, Master Shallow. Do not, do not you grieve at this. I shall be sent for it in private to him. Look you, ah. He must seem thus to the world. Fear not your advancements. I will be the man yet that shall make you great. I cannot well perceive how, unless you should give me your doublet and stuff me out with straw. I, I beseech you, good Sir John, let me have 500 of my thousand. Sir, sir, I will be as good as my word. This that you heard was but but a color a color that i fear you will die in sir john fear no colors go, go with me to dinner come uh, lieutenant pistol come bardolph i shall be set for soon at night 
re-enter Prince John of Lancaster, the Lord Chief Justice officers with them. Go, carry Sir John Falstaff to the fleet. Take all his company along with him. My lord, my, my lord. I cannot now speak. I will hear you soon. Take them away. Fortune me tormenta, sparrow contenta. Exunt all but Prince John and the Lord Chief Justice. I like this fair proceeding of the king's. He hath intent his wanted followers shall all be very well provided for, but all are banished till their conversations appear more wise and modest to the world. And so they are. The king hath called his parliament, my lord. He hath. I will lay odds that ere this year expire, we bear our civil swords and native fire as far as France. I beard a, a bird so sing, whose music to my thinking pleased the king. Come, will you hence? Exit. Epilogue, spoken by a dancer. First, my fear. Then my courtesy, last my speech. My fear is your displeasure, my courtesy, my duty, and my speech to beg your pardons. If you look for a good speech now, you undo me, for what I have to say is uh, mine own making, and what indeed I should say will, I doubt, prove mine own marring, but to the purpose, and so to the venture. Be it known to you, as it is very well, I was lately here in the end of a displeasing play, to pray your patience for it and to promise you a better, I meant indeed to pay you with this. Which, uh, if I like an ill venture, it come unluckily home, I break into you my gentle creditors lose. Uh, here I promised you I would be, here I commit my body to your mercies, bake me some and I will pay you some and as most debtors do promise you infinitely. If uh, my tongue cannot entreat you to acquit me, will you command me to use my legs? And yet that were but light pavement to dance out your debt, but a good conscience will make any possible satisfaction, and so would I. All the gentlemen have forgiven me. If the gentlemen will not, and then the gentlemen do not agree with the gentlewomen, which was never before seen in such an assembly, Oh, one 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 word more, I beseech you, if you be not too much cloyed with fat meat, our humble author will continue the story with Sir John in it and make you marry with fair Catherine of France, where, for anything I know, Falstaff shall die. Of a sweat, unless already be killed by your hard opinions, for Old Castle died a martyr, and this is not the man. My tongue is weary. When my legs are too, I will bid you good night. And so, kneel down before you, but indeed to pray for the queen. God save the queen.